going to hell for that. <clears throat> Naughty. Hello and welcome to Frivolous Gravitas. Uh, today we are going to be doing a bit of a different tack. Um, we're going to be looking at solutions, which I know we don't usually do. A lot of what we do is complain. Oh, actually, I think we do a good job. We're like 60, 40 complaints to maybe here. Let's try a solution. But Chris has got a uh, number of things he wants to pause it before us and put in front of us to munch on on a number of different topics. So this is going to be a bit of a, you know, um, compartmentalized, but we'll see how it goes. It'll probably flow really well because each topic will flow probably into each other. We're going to be looking at stuff like law democracy, healthcare, giant robots, um, interstellar travel. Okay, maybe not all that stuff, but the crux of it all will be um, that a lot of it will rely on a scientific approach and the scientific method. Now, whether you believe in that or not, that doesn't matter to us because it works. So, which is why we use it as a tool and we can apply it to things. Uh, previously, it's been applied in such a way that, you know, it's been applied properly and improperly. You can tell when it's applied improperly because you get stuff like, well, we're going to have a scientific government and then heads get rolling off all over Paris uh, Central Square. And it's been applied properly with uh, and yielded many solutions that have benefited mankind on such a massive scale that um, no amount of thanks can be given to the people who uh, did the endeavor. So I'll uh, turn it over to Chris. And uh, where do you want to take this? Cool. Thank you, Jordan. Once again, this is Frivolous Gravitas. I'm Christopher Driver with my delightful co-host, Jordan Roy. Today, I wanted to talk about solutions specifically, not really necessarily because we don't speak of them in all of our episodes, but usually our episodes are kind of like focused on single things. So our solutions are catered towards the subject matter at hand. Whereas in today's episode, I want to cover the fact that like people who haven't listened to 80 hours of us talking back and forth can get some type of idea of the things that we talk about and also have. get some perspective on the fact that solutions exist because it seems to me apparent that a lot of people don't even realize or believe that we have solutions to problems and that's where you get that knee-jerk reaction to want to just burn the system down for it not working that or someone needs to do something someone else needs to come up with the solution when we're all kind of in this together yeah it's, or we just need to like fire people and that'll fix the problem throw <laughs> money at it. Well, just give them more money it's like give the broken system more money so that it can do broken system more effectively yeah and yeah. sort of the whole point <laughs> to systemic failures is fixing the system so that it ends to work rather than just going through all the results and trying to uh tweak them manually to like overfit your results for for the outcomes that you want instead of fixing the system they're just tweaking the end product what you could fix the system and then the end product could become what you want it to be just organically on its own Sounds like so that's equity. sort of what i wanted to get into today yeah well yeah i always feel like sometimes we have um we'll get into a rut of uh negativity and then we'll kind of flow and do a couple episodes which are really positive and then get into another rut of negativity so see i don't find it negative though it probably sounds negative but like fixing problems requires acknowledging them and dissecting yeah. problems is the way that we find solutions so it's not necessarily a negative thing to say something's not working mm -hmm. and i don't think i mean i'm sure people interpret it that way because i've been told that i sound negative often when i talk oh. so <laughs> People, when they hear stuff they don't like to hear, they're like, you're just being negative or you're being pessimistic. It's like, 
I'm probably the most optimistic guy that I know because I'm just like, well, I can get this done, which is like, it's not like everything's going to turn all right. It's like, no, I can get this done. I can just apply myself to it because I know I can do that. But that's exactly why I like to analyze and pick things apart is because I have an innate belief that things can work properly if we fix them. So like talking about things that are already working is just like talking about the sky being blue. It's not productive or useful. It's just nice and fluffy. And yeah, I like the color blue. But to talk about problems means that you have a hope for the future in fixing them. If you don't speak about problems, you're just assuming that they can't be changed. And it's just a defeatist mentality that perpetuates itself. It makes the problems get worse by neglect. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the ways that we can approach these types of problems is through um, uh, the scientific method, which we talk about often on this channel. But yeah, I like it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I want to stress, though, that the scientific method is not reserved for scientists. It is not something that only academics can do, and it's not something that's far out of reach of the average person, general population. It's something we all apply in day-to-day life. So if you have a cat and the cat's making a whole bunch of mess on your floor, you can move the litter box, right? That's a scientific approach to an observed reality and a problem solution. Well, I literally of. have been doing exactly that. The cat beat on one of my mats the other day. So I, I said, okay, well, first of all, you got to, you know, look at what you did. This is bad. Bop, bop, little light bop on his head. And then he runs off and you go and pet him because I found that works. But then I'm, I'll move. Okay. So what happens if I use two litter boxes and I literally put out a second litter box near the place where he peed. He doesn't peed there yet. So I have no positive results. But if he pees there again, then I know that my experiment isn't working and I have to try something else to get him to not pee there. We've also tried like changing his food. Maybe he's got a bladder infection, he's nervous. So we're changing his food, but he still did it. So it's like, well, it might be effective, but it's not 100% effective. So we need to change behavioral things. So we're applying the scientific method. and. And the method itself is just that. Like, I can't be like, well, what do I want it to be? Well, I want him to not pee it. It's like, why is he doing it? Hypothesis. He can't get to the litter box on time. Be litter box on time. So potential solution. I'll just put another one out so like he'll have more access to these things. Uh, also, I find he likes foam. I won't leave foam lying on the ground. Solution. Well, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so, so sort of the point to this is to say that it's not at all productive or helpful or useful to just stand back and say, oh, the cat missed the litter box or sprayed a bunch of litter all over the place. It must be the case that all cats will forever do that and there's no solution and nothing you can try will fix it or change it. Let's and see. this type of mentality sounds ridiculous when approaching it to a cat, but this is the exact same type of thinking that we apply to politics. Oh, politics will always be corrupt. There's nothing we can do about it. Or law that um, discriminates against people of color and why our jails are filled with minority What if we have another election? <laughs> <laughs> And it applies to everything. Market systems. People are always going to abuse the market system. People are always going to, you know, try and avoid paying taxes. And everybody has these types of biases or preconceived notions that they apply to their general rule of thought. And that's what I want to dispel, because that frame of thinking, the thinking itself is destructive in the long term. If you consider like the overall scope of your life productivity or whatever. Well, so like conceptually it's destructive because it's blocking you or obstructing your progress towards an achievable and visible end, even though it's provably knowable that this solution can be found, even if it's not found yet, 
not approaching the solution never will resolve it. So well, I found this in my um, in my uh, first degree when I noticed that history was very much a scientific process. You go in, you have a question: Why did Churchill invade Sicily? And so that's a good question because why didn't he just go and invade the boot of uh, the boot instead of the toe? Or the, uh, you know, in different part of Italy, or go in through the south of France, uh, and so you go into you say, okay, what do I need to come up with that answer? And so you find Winston uh, or um, Patton and Churchill's uh, notes, and you read it, and you come out, and you find, okay, he did it because this, because the evidence says this. But then someone will say, well, no, there's an interpretation. That's what they want you to think. You know, this or that. Well, okay, yes. So. When in certain times you have to have that interpretation, but then a lot of people think that, okay, because there's this interpretation, it's not science. It's like, it's still the same method, but, uh, now we have to use interpretive things like feelings and thoughts and emotions. And I'm just like, Whoa, Whoa, where did that come from? And so then you're saying, because it's not science, we can do whatever we want which is not true. You're still doing science. You just have to do it more carefully because you're not going to get a pure positive result or a pure negative result. It's not going to be like, yes or no, it's going to be a big honk and maybe, and then you're going to have to interpret that more. There's an extra step when you have that interpretive framework, but it's still, um, the, the, still the same method. What will work. And, and the important part to that method is separating belief systems from things that are tangibly knowable. So it's not, it's not that you can't have a belief system. It's that you have to set it aside while you're engaging in science, and then you can bring it back in after as much as you want to, you know, report on it. But the data itself shouldn't change based on your beliefs. The data should stay the same, regardless of the bias that you come into or out of with. So an example to that would be, um, I was speaking to some stranger on on social media or whatever uh and I, one of the comments they got from in a in a discussion about depression medications was that people with depression don't need drugs they need god nothing against the person's belief systems but it's not a productive scientific approach to anything there's nothing you can resolve by saying my my existential belief systems are what the fix is to this problem since we can't see God, create God, speak to God, or influence God, there's nothing you can materially do to change the situation or to get a deeper understanding of depression by just injecting God into it. So it's not to say that people can't have their beliefs, but for a productive discussion, and if you have beliefs in God or whatever, you should assume that God wants you to use your brain and be productive. So <laughs> you should be able to separate and compartmentalize any belief systems that are intangible just momentarily and from while that, you're engaging in the scientific method. Well, and from that, you can ask, okay, what a, like you're saying, okay, you just need God, but like he does, he doesn't like the bias is inherent there, but it's also, he doesn't know what he's talking about because he's just saying God. What do you mean by God? Like what part of God? So this is, again, this comes down to the other aspect of it that I keep coming up to. It's like people come up with this solution. But what's the mechanism of that solution? You say God, but why will God work? Now, actually, I don't really disagree with him, but I don't think he knows what he's talking about because, you know, you could read like people need that are depressed need meaning because there's observable results that when someone has meaning in their life, you know, a purpose toward to which they put forth their action, they 
uh, their depression symptoms abate. And so what people don't need is God. It's something that God would provide for them. And, and they, again, even that would be overly simplistic. And I don't yeah, really exactly. want to get into a discussion about like medications and stuff, but some people actually have chemical imbalances and that's it. And like some people is, just have, both? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's messy, you know, yeah. but the point is you can approach something scientifically and have opinions on it that are based on data or experience or what have you. And that's still a useful conversation, even if it's not the right answer or leads you to the solution. It's still a productive conversation to have because you need to discuss all factors involved. All variables they, that are related to the solution must be assessed and yeah. considered. And the bias to this person's thinking isn't that like God will save everything. It's that <coughs> drugs are bad. And it's just like, no, like you said, drugs have some. And that's the bias against him is stopping him from exploring a uh, legitimate um, form of therapy. Like, and even if they're right in the end, I, there's like, no harm in finding out the truth by going the long way around. I'm going to build a desk, but I don't believe in hammers. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so sort of the point to this is to say that um, reality is reality no matter how you look at it. And if you look at reality and it looks different from different points of view, those are all valid data points. It's the parable of the elephant. Yes, yeah, exactly. Where one guy holds the tail and says, no, it's a thin, bushy thing. And one guy holds a leg. No, it's a tree trunk. And another holds the belly. Yeah. And everybody's right. But it's only the person that stands back with the full view that can see the full elephant for what it is. Yeah. And you see this in, in large projects. One person's working on one thing and one person's okay. Like a, like a video game. One person's working on the, the online thing. One person's working on the art. One person's working on the physics. One person's working on the thing. But it's the project manner that puts it all together and makes the, the game. And they're doing it in a way that is shown to have get put out games in the past. And so they're going to keep doing it in that way because it's been shown to work because they have positive results, which is sold games in the past. And you can see the incremental improvements they've made over the years to game development, right? So they are getting better at it and they're doing it more efficiently. And that's why we get nicer looking games with more uh, freedom of movement, larger scenes, procedural generation, AI. Like there's a whole bunch of implementations and tools that were created for past games that are carried forward to future games. Yeah. And that's all done through a scientific process of analyzing what works and what can be reused as a component in separate other structures that are unrelated. And that's like a direct analog to what we're going to talk about today with discussion of solutions. One, one last example is uh, the mouse. <coughs> the mouse was designed in this process by um, uh, Xerox. Uh, no, yeah, well, um, the uh, Stanford uh, computer experiments and the mother of all demos. I'm kind of plugging my own thesis here. Go read the first chapter of my thesis where I lay out that they went through six different types of control devices and they si proved scientifically that this one works the most effectively, the quickest and most efficiently with the human hand and form and eye on the screen. This is the best tool that they found would work with their with the system of computing that we have now. And they found that out literally by doing a, just a whole bunch of tests. And now we have the mouse, which we don't even think about. Um, if you want more on that, go into my thesis in chapter one. Uh, more on thesis. 
more we're gonna pieces. Plug link in, it in the description. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's it's but, it's a good example of how they use science to find out what would work. And like in previous things, I've called this the logos, which is like you dealing with reality on reality's terms, essentially. Um, and to figure out the way reality works is what Chris is talking about. And uh, sorry, I just wanted to throw that last thing in there. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so part of this is also in, um, in our approach to solutions. So the scientific method is a very useful tool. It's not the be all end all tool, but it is a tool. And knowing that it is a tool that can be applied to everything, it's definitely a place to start if you don't have any other place to start. Uh, it's usually the best method for anything. But scientifically speaking, the injection of God into a, into a, um, a discussion that's unrelated to God, say like medical science or mental health, uh, what it's doing is it's adding a dimension in scientific terms. So it's like saying if you have a piece of paper and you have shapes on the paper and your question is, how do I fit this shape onto this paper? It might be really hard to move things around to get everything to fit. But if your solution is just add another piece of paper and then you put that on the paper and then you're done, it doesn't fix this. It's not a solution to the problem. All you're doing is creating an extra range of motion so that you can put something in an empty spot. Mm. And that's what they're doing basically when you don't think critically or use um, philosophical approaches to, to cognitive behaviors, even with people and dynamic systems and changing uh, changing environments and things like that, extraneous using, factors. That, using a uh, rational or an emotional approach to a logical problem, you're mm -hmm. going to have a bad time. And it's not to say that you should never consider extra dimensions because that's definitely a solution to many problems like string theory and physics does it a lot. And um, But if that's your only solution and you haven't investigated anything else, you haven't really put any critical thought into it. Like critical thought would be the idea of rearranging the objects on the page to try and see if you can get it to fit. Another method might be to, to uh, count the area and volume or something of the object that you're trying to fit other objects into and see if it's even physically possible before you attempt it. Because if you can prove it's impossible, there's no point in attempting to fit it. So or the scientific approach. The best possible solution, the best possible failure, uh, <laughs> with in, instead of like, well, this isn't going to work. It's like, oh, you found out my trap to the puzzle. It's like, yes, but this is the most effective use. We, I'm, I'm using all, the most within what I'm guaranteed. Yeah, um, and there are all kinds of really good examples of this. So like Conway's Game of Life is a fantastic visual representation of how things can change and move just based on very fundamental structured um, algorithms, like basically they're algorithms. Um, but to not, to not approach things from this type of perspective basically leads you to make decisions that are based on prior assumptions rather than prior knowledge. And making decisions based on knowledge, I think everyone should agree logically is the smarter approach because smart is defined by using knowledge. You, so to um, say that- Quickly go into what Conway's game of life is, sorry. Oh, Conway's game of life is just like a programming experiment kind of thing. I think it was a, a published science journal paper type of thing. Um, basically, you have some really fundamental rules to a little object and you say if there are um, three. So you have like an object on a grid. So there's four spaces that can be near it. And you say, <clears throat> if this object has three other objects out of four occupied, then it's too constrained and it dies in the next time interval because it's crowded out. 
And that means all three of them would then die from the next if they all three had three other objects that are nearby to them. But if, let's say, the object had four empty spaces all around it, it might duplicate. So one rule would be you die if you're crowded. The next rule is you multiply if you're empty all around you. And if you have one partner next to you, then maybe both of you um, just move to the left. So you, you just set up some very basic rules. And when you run it out, step after step after step, it basically creates a sequence of animations. And you get like really interesting geometric patterns. You get uh, things that look like rocket ships moving around. You get things that look like cell reproduction. All yeah, kinds I'm of really. Nice. I'm looking at it right now, and that's it's it's really quite interesting. I'd never heard about this before, which is strange because this is right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, it's a programming thing, but it also delves deeply into like philosophy and physics and genetics and like how the world works from really fundamental structure components and how complexity can arise or emerge, uh, the emergent phenomenon of greater complexity from small rule sets. Um, but the environment in the game of life would just be the plane that it's all working on. So adding a dimension to that to fit your object in doesn't help anyone solve any solution. It doesn't show you anything about the data. Um, it doesn't give you any insights to the interactions that happen when the animation is played forward if you only have that one single object segregated from everything else because you've added a dimension to describe it. Right. So that's sort of what we're getting at with the scientific method. But it can be applied to a lot of things. So like vehicles, for example, uh, when the first cars came out, we discovered that we could put an engine on wheels and move people using the engine. That wasn't obvious right off the bat. Well, we designed them as if they were, uh, well, we designed them as a horseless carriage. We had an idea of mm -hmm. a horse and carriage. And so we just replaced the horse with the engine. Right. And, and then when we realized that was dumb, then we, we started was, making them in different ways. It took incremental progression over time though. And now yes. that we have super safe cars with like airbags and Bluetooth and CD player, well, I guess they don't even use CD players anymore, but they mm -hmm. got, you know, underglow and um, air ride. You've got suspension systems that are like extravagantly beyond anything that was in the 1960s. Well, Even in the 90s, if you drove a car over a pothole, you'd feel the entire car bounce. Like you'd hit the ceiling sometimes on those old Chevy beaters from like the 70s or yeah. 80s. Or um, like Armstrong steering where you would literally be turning the wheels. Instead of that, we have like a fly-by-wire system where you turn the thing and it registers saying like, turn the wheels this. So it sends a signal to turn it this amount. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, we do with our mouse or with our keyboard. And so we're not actually like typing in an F like we are on a keyboard. We're typing F and it sends a signal to put an F on the screen. And that's and what's happening. And that's so much more efficient than just like. And it would have been impossible to just develop the Hyundai Tucson from, you know, 1940, even though yeah. all like most of the technology, if they had it, then they wouldn't just all of a sudden know what to do with it and put it all together. Well, it's an iterative process of incrementally improving a system that's already been developed and shown and to function there's external events too because like the americans were making cars and a certain way and then the japanese were like no here's a better way of making them mm -hmm. and like in the 1970s and you see smaller more efficient more affordable cars much like um henry ford was trying to do with his model t uh, although uh, a lot of people saw the model t which was the original car because he was like what if i could sell a car to everybody which was the idea and the Japanese did that again in the seventies. But what if he, but he said, but he, there's a lot of drawbacks to the model T. He didn't want to change it too much. He wanted to make them cheaply, which was good. But then you have people like Chevy and GM come along and say something like, 
what if you could do it in any color but any color other than black and people are like oh i love that and then yeah, so my, have their assembly line and update it every year and then they threw ford out of the market so to get back to my point though Sorry. the point is that it's an incremental process to finding solutions you don't start mm -hmm. with the solution right off the bat knowing everything and say this is how it's fixed so first mm -hmm. of all for the purposes of this episode if anybody tells you that they know how to fix the world's problems they're wrong or, it's yeah. just not possible it's an iterative process if we could think that far ahead in advance we wouldn't have any problems today because we would have fixed them yesterday well, and when we, not how we humans offer, design. whenever we offer uh, a solution, like a lot of times, like we had that literally C episode, where we're literally just telling everybody to read more <laughs> and, uh, and that, that uh, culture of reading will foster, you know, more nuanced stuff. Or like when we talk about neural nets, it's like, here's something that if we applied to it, it would probably have a positive outcome. What outcome there, what we have, we don't know, but we think it would be positive. Or um, what was it that one, the nuclear energy, mm -hmm. like, Okay, that one's been iterated enough times that we know it would work. But we haven't really practiced any new designs. That's the problem with like the, the yeah. liquid molten salt reactors aren't as well investigated because we haven't built as many of them because we kept building the World War II versions. <laughs> but we can't know unless, like you said, we get that process moving. And mm -hmm. so it's stalled. So we can't but it's come up. definitively more, uh, it is definitely smarter to to transition away from coal and oil as a burning fuel source we know that flat out because there are alternative forms of energy that don't produce that carbon because someone did the math and showed that coal wood <coughs> poop and like even oil are more inefficient they don't provide as much like you don't get as much bang for your buck you're literally wasting money <laughs> well the thing is you have to put energy into cleaning the environment after they pollute it so yeah. that has to be accounted for so ignoring a cost doesn't make the cost go away it's still there and ignoring the cost of solar because you need rare earth metals and those are scattered they're not actually rare but they're just dispersed and scattered so the mining energy involved in getting rare earth metals that are required to make the solar panels that we have are also carbon intensive because it takes energy to burn to but one of the solutions to this would very naturally be have a hydro dam or a wind power facility or something charge batteries use batteries to charge the mining equipment and have mining equipment um dig up rare earth so that you could build more solar panels and then use solar panels to power the mining equipment so the point is to make small compartmentalized component functions that you can replicate and apply to a whole bunch of different situations and circumstances as a potential solution but it's only an iterative solution it's yeah we need it's an incrementally better than the past solution but it's not the final solution do you know what i mean we can't know well and that's the scientific process we can't know mm -hmm. unless we actually try it and but then we the the problem is that we ignore results sometimes it's like, but we can the know that there is a better way before we try it we know for a fact that this method that i just proposed is better than burning coal we know that for a fact it just takes more energy and more application to start there's a startup cost to it but once you have machines that build machines that build machines you know and those are powered by renewables suddenly you've got a really sustainable renewable um basically an economy of energy production and you could start that off with a reactor, a nuclear reactor power plant that produces tons of power so that we can make all these robots that build other robots that do all our mining so that they can build solar panels so that they can install them. And then you can build maintenance robots, right? You can do the exact same process, the same component um, compartmentalized process of building components that are repurposed 
-hmm. you can apply those to solar panels then so that you don't just need really big expensive nuclear power plants to build uh to get power some areas don't need that much power and the longer you try and transmit your power the less efficient it is you've got energy loss over over the transmission lines mm. so there are different solutions and different applications to different geographic regions of the, of the world and these solutions are not panacea one size fits all um, production equivalents they're not even close to equivalent what they are is complementary you want tidal and geothermal and nuclear power for like big cities should have nuclear power plants because that's just they need steady power period right but some boonie kind um nation <clears throat> with you know 200,000 people right by the ocean in a fishing community they necessarily don't need as much power Iceland yeah, and they got tons geothermal. of geothermal yeah <laughs> so they they found out what worked best for them and the process if they just they had a problem and then they tried a whole bunch of solutions and found what worked and the thing about Iceland is too because of its climate and its geography so because or geology so because of the geothermic energy they get and because it's a cold climate that's a wonderful place to set up servers because the biggest expense to servers is compute power right and yeah. cooling because when you run computers they get hot and they're more efficient when they're cooled so if you have a place where the open air can cool your systems and the underground heat can power your systems that country should have an entire economy just based on data processing um, and that could be like financial instruments because of quant uh quant yeah. trading when they use algorithmic trades instead of people trading shares they have computers trading shares but that should be like an entire economy of that country just like Canada has raw resources, we should have tons of robots that refine raw raw materials so that our GDP and exports go up just by selling refined goods instead of raw goods. You know, if somebody's buying raw materials from Canada, necessarily they're going to use those raw materials to refine into something else. Why don't we just sell them something else? Well, you know what I mean, like we could be the best talking uh, last night about stuff like this. We were saying like Canada has so much of one thing that a lot, most of the, uh, most of the world doesn't we have space mm -hmm. what can we do with space well you can do whatever you want in space because like if you have if you need to like test airplanes and if they crash who cares because they crash into some like wasteland yeah like that canada is great for that if you want like mm -hmm. aerospace should be like we should be having like crazy new things flying everywhere or think uh, like observatories if you yes. want something that's sort of in the north so that you get less atmospheric interference from from your um, telescopes and stuff, you On also want open mountain. space so the cities aren't polluting the air around it. And you also want a highly educated staff and economy of people that are running it, right? Canada is perfect for that because you've got a bunch of educated people, a bunch of open space, and you've got a cool climate. And it's, you know, it's part of the north. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. So there are solutions to every country that will be unique. And if we tailor our economies and markets towards efficiently processing the uniqueness of each country's raw materials, resources, and assets, the whole world would benefit from it because then everybody is complementing each other's economies. You don't have these like um, race conditions where one country is trying to one up the next country just to be, to get more investment from them because they're worth more. That type of approach to markets is less efficient and less effective for everybody, not just the people investing. But like when your country has to produce something that's inefficient to produce there, but they have to do it anyway, 
that's a cost that's borne on somebody. Either it's a high price or it's a tax that they're paying or they're importing it from somewhere else, which is a loss on like a, a loss on a net benefit um, equation scale, like between in, uh, different countries trading. Uh, but then you wouldn't need like trade agreements and things like that that don't actually work and that are politically motivated because of lobbyist intervention. So all the corruption gets wiped out once everybody's working towards a common goal. My thought is, and like common goal is a loaded term because a lot of times it's like common goal, take the Sudetenland, but, um, but I I like, but taking land wouldn't be a common goal between countries because you'd have to take it from somebody else Sorry, between countries. If we had common objectives that we were all working towards, like, Hey, Iceland, you do our data centers. We're going to help you develop a big data center economy. Now I would help everybody because we'd get cheaper data centers. I think that happens a lot of times as a matter of course, one, uh, like countries definitely, and I've seen this a lot of times, like you see um, people in the market just being like, what can we do to plug ourselves into the market? What what do we have special? And people are constantly, when they're in the right mindset, not the, like, somebody needs to help me. No, no. What can I do with my effort and my knowledge and our labor and our particular set of skills um, that we can plug into the market that, that would make the rest of the world give us their money and not give us their money because like they can invest, but give us their money because they want what we have to offer. And like, this is where that, you know, evil money comes in, but you know, it's money's the lubrication that allows this process to work. Um, and money's not at all evil though. That's like saying air is evil because murderers breathe air. Right? <laughs> it's stupid. Wait, wait it's murderers flat breathe stupid. air. Yeah. All the time. I see all the time. <laughs> these murderers are in court sitting there breathing. I knew it. Anyway, so <laughs> but it's but, an insane analogy, but it's exactly it, congruent to what they're what these types I, of arguments are trying to claim. And I think a lot of times local people like um, uh, everyone's going to hate me for this, but Alberta's got oil where I am now. Alberta knows the world needs oil and not just for like cars and polluting, you know, we just burn oil so we can pollute it. It's just the greatest. I love it. We breathe it in. It's great. Man, like we're evil up here. And like, no, we're not evil. We're just people. Uh, uh, but one thing that like you need Tupperware, you need non-disposable plastics like that mouse I showed you. It's like 80% plastic. Would you make a well, you know, it'd be better if they were made out of wood and more natural materials. Well, if it's made out of wood, you have to kill a tree. <laughs> and there's mold and rot and health issues and splinters and it's heavier and it takes up more space. Plastic like serves like we're never getting rid of plastic because plastic is such a good material for the things that we're using it for. Because well, it's nothing else just for hygiene. Process. Yeah. Like it's hospitals so easy to need clean. plastic. Like it's this thing that you like we're always going to be digging up fossil fuels because plastics are well what about like because plastics are the this solution that we've come up to uh, up with this benign solution to all these little problems that we had at the beginning of the 20th century um and before and so we still need that oil industry. And that's one thing that Alberta found it could do is provide oil. And that's the same thing with Norway. They found they could provide oil. But then, you know, you go south of Norway, well, southwest, east, and you find a place like Estonia. And Estonia is like, we're tiny. We have a tiny population. Uh, we got screwed over by, you know, being communist forever. Uh, also, but we're, we, are, we are nicely situated between 
a trade route and a massive trading partner with Russia. There's a lot of Russians that need things. So what did Estonia do? They said, well, let's get into tech. They found something that they could do really well. And now Estonia is, at least I think, at least they were on their way to becoming like a massive tech center. So they specialized to some extent and plugged themselves into the world market in a way that they could, uh, um, they could benefit the world and, you know, in the end, become prosperous. And you see this a lot of places, like a lot of places are doing this. Um, Norway is a good example, and so is Iceland, but with their- That was for deliberate intervention. I think that's what's important to state, is that was planned. It didn't just happen by accident. The organic part of it was just who, like which people decided to go into tech. That's the organic part of it. Mm -hmm. But it was a deliberate plan by the government and by taxpayers and by a history of communism that led them towards free education that led to a tech sector. And that includes like tax relief for startup businesses. And, you know, they have competitions and awards for people's uh, research papers and studies and things like that. So what's important to note though, is that the deliberate intervention toward progress or towards finding an incrementally better solution is the key. So stopping dead in your tracks to say this can't be fixed, like corruption in politics or uh, housing for like affordable housing, uh, which is a crisis around the world, especially now with like China's Evergrande uh, developers going under. <laughs> They're insolvent. Oh, yeah, I now. saw that. that that's going to have a cascading effect that just mark my words, next year is going to be really tumultuous. Uh, especially with all the bailouts that are going to be going through because China just finally got their, uh, where they've been trying to get their currency approved into the, the basket of um, internationally traded uh, funds for like stable currencies and major market players. But that means that they can rely on, on a, well, not rely on, but they've got weight to push into the IMF to get global funds, basically. So they're going to, and they're probably going to use. <laughs> yeah, and they're probably going to use some form of crypto coin or something to do it because there's nowhere else to pull uh, equity out of because all equities are now like overpriced and valued at multiples over 20 times earnings, which is insane. If you're buying a stock for it'll be profitable 20 years from now, you have no idea what's going to happen in 20 years. Mm. So it's an insane idea to buy any stock when the entire market is over 20 times multiples or like Facebook and stuff is like 40 something times yeah. uh, earnings. So, so with housing, like a lot, we've talked about housing before on the channel and like a lot mm -hmm. of times we, I said something like, I've got like my little house. Why do we keep building giant McMansions in these giant like space taking up like areas and, um, that, or, you know, hovels and tenements or, and then people get priced out of the market because there's nothing, literally nothing for them to buy and then rent assist or, and stuff like that just keeps raising the price mm -hmm. of, uh, of existing things. So people can't get it, you know, even if it is at cost. So like housing seems to be a problem because we see people on the streets. Um, <clears throat> so here's the issue with housing though. Um, mm -hmm. For the people who can own property already and who have appreciated value on a property, they can then sell a property and buy two more, right? But the person who's entering the market, and that means a whole generation of youth who haven't received an inheritance yet because their parents aren't dead, they're still living in the house, 
you've got a whole generation that can't enter the market, which means their income viability long term is reduced because they don't have an asset to hold on to that retains value. All the assets they own, like computers and cell phones, depreciate. So the issue with this is that if you support people by helping them pay rent, what you're doing is paying a landlord a higher rent so that they can buy more expensive properties, which then in turn make them cost or charge higher rent. So you're subsidizing the incomes of the people doing the least amount of labor in the economy. And you're using the sweat and toil and blood from the people who are the most productive in the economy to do it. It's the taxpayer worker and the taxpayer savings that's going towards paying these rents. And those rent payments that are exorbitant and too high for any average income earner to pay or afford on their own has a knockdown effect in the long run because they can't, they can't reserve any assets for a rainy day. So well, when, COVID, when COVID happens, everyone needs a relief check because if you don't, there's going to be rampant crime. Well, in the addition people aren't just going to lay down and if die. People are, if people have an apartment and their apartments are high, they're going to be less likely to move around. So mobility between, if you're not having people moving from apartment to apartment to condo to house, uh, because they have a lot of social mobility and rents are low, so you can just inter, rents are low, so you can because there's a lot of competition in the market, so you can just exchange them. And everyone's fighting for your, you know, rental checks. So they'll be like well, I'll give you a garage or I'll give you a three months off or I'll give you this because it's competitive. So they want uh, renters or they want uh, people to buy their properties. So people are staying in them. So if people aren't moving up, then there's nowhere for the bottom to go. And so you have this entire growing pool of people that don't really have anywhere to go or they're stuck in a place that's overpriced and they can't move into anything good. So people entering the system looking for an apartment are like, okay, I have to settle for the most expensive thing I can find, I guess. Um, and this happens in houses. A uh, cousin of my wife's just <clears throat> they bought a house for like 50 grand overpriced. And it's just, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, but that, that's upper. like pennies compared to what um, Saskatoon and Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary went through just 10 years ago. Cause they were yeah. going up 50 grand in price every year for a few years. Yeah, that's insane. When a house goes from one hundred and twenty thousand to four hundred and eighty thousand, and like, and it's just a single detached bungalow uh, in the suburbs, like well, the insanity okay of it is money. nobody like, earns that much money in this. In like, Edmonton, I'm middle class, but in Vancouver, I'd be like, I can't like, we'd be in a we'd be in a bachelor apartment, like. But the biggest more. the biggest thing isn't just affordability for month to month. The biggest thing is you've got a generation of people who can't retain the money they earn when they're working mm -hmm. because their expenses are higher or just high enough that they stay afloat. I mean, saving $100 uh, a paycheck, so at the end of the year, you've got $1,200. Well, if inflation is in, in engineered by the government to rise by 2%, that your $1,500 is exactly zero. All of that money you saved would have been better spent on a vacation earlier in the year because now your vacation costs $500 more. So what they're doing is they're incentivizing people not to save. And when people don't save, there's a necessary need for a safety net based on the taxpayers who, who pay that burden. And so there's a lot of people right now. And again, it's a lot on social media and everything. So I don't even need to quote anybody specific because that's like, political platforms are based on this. They're saying that people shouldn't be getting handouts from the government for, for relief. But what they're neglecting to men, like notice is the fact that these people aren't robbing and murdering people because they're getting a, this handout. And the reason they needed the handout is because they never had a chance 
at making money before the financial crisis, which they didn't cause themselves. They just were born later than the people who were born sooner. Mm-hmm. So that type of approach to a solution where you're saying don't give people handouts or let's give people a rent subsidy doesn't fix the problem. What the solution is doing is it's nitpicking the end results and trying to equalize everything after the fact. The problem is systemic. You're treating the symptom. <clears throat> right. Instead of the disease. Mm-hmm. So the disease in this case in housing is that we're not building affordable houses. Not that we don't know how or that we can't. We're just choosing not to because capitalist intervention means um, we're giving priority to luxury homes as long as they're selling. Yeah. And as long as homes are selling, prices are rising, people can afford to buy luxury homes if they already own a home that's not a luxury home. Well, I don't even know if that's capitalism because like, again, Henry Ford made more money selling affordable cars and so did the Japanese. But um, it, it's nearsighted. Like, so within yeah, oh, 10 years, you will make gobs of money. But then after this whole generation dies and a whole generation of people couldn't save money and couldn't own property and didn't get an inheritance, all of those people are going to be broke and homeless. And if they're all paying rents and you're just subsidizing rents, you're paying a landlord out of tax money just for the privilege of owning property that they rent because they already have too much money. It's the opposite of what you're trying to do for a sustainable economy. The sustainable economy is to say everybody should have access to food. Uh, transportation and housing and clothes and education so long as they work no matter where they work as long as they work that should be accessible because that's a good country to live in and every country says they want to do this but they all have a different approach to it but every country's government says they want to do this but then what they don't realize is that the people don't want a handout like i don't like if they try and like i didn't take my serb i could have at like three points there during the thing but it's to me, it's a bit of a kick in the pants uh, while I'm getting a pat on the back. And so <clears throat> maybe I'm just, well, you're too proud, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'd rather work for my stuff because that's what I want to do. Yeah, but um, rather work means that you have the ability, you have the access to yeah. it. So if but here's the thing. don't have access to that opportunity, they absolutely do need it. Otherwise, they will end up in jail and that will cost you way more money than paying them a Serb check. Right. It's but, way more expensive to jail people for crimes and fix damaged property. But if you're if you're given if you're given a check from the government, and then that government and that check goes to pay uh, rent for an apartment that you wouldn't be able to afford uh, had you gotten a job, why not just socialize rents or nationalize rents and then pay it directly to uh, the landlord? And skip because the, then you're doing the exact same thing. You're rewarding somebody who's already oh, is the same least productive. Yeah. So it's no different giving a Serb check to a rent payer and then them paying a high rent mm-hmm. as it is for them to give a tax credit to somebody who owns a $2 million apartment complex right. and then makes everybody unaffordable housing. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea isn't to take money from one person and give it to another or to give incentive to another person and take it from this. The solution is really simple. You just build affordable housing. (laughs) If you just build houses at cost and sell them from the government, you're employing people, which is part of your mandate, even though it shouldn't be, but unemployed people who like construction worker or administration, hire them, get them off EI, put them into this housing project and build a housing project. Second, you maintain it. So even if it costs you money to have people come and gutter clean and wash all these tenement houses, if the houses stay clean and the people are part of building and the production of them, they manage them and take care of them, it remains valuable. 
long after the people buy or sell it, right? Mm -hmm. And if they don't stay there, say like 25 years, then the government retains ownership and they can do whatever they want. They can move into another affordable housing complex or buy their own home from their savings, whatever. But the point is, if you build houses that are affordable, the repercussion effects are beneficial to everybody involved, even the people who already have houses, because they pay less taxes to subsidize rents. Well, then they have more you're, dignity because you're giving assets and dignity and ownership and you're you're creating jobs. You're stimulating the economy, not just by dumping money into a stock market so that multiples can rise. You're right. dumping money into people's paychecks so they can pay for goods and services, which also stimulate the economy and everybody pays taxes. So mm -hmm. all your tax burdens are less because more people are paying into tax instead of taking out. Right. Because I have a house now that I can afford that I don't have to pay an arm and a leg <clears> for so I can go and but like if i my like the job or jobs that i have can now go towards other things buying other things like food and i'm plugged into the economy better but like but we I know how to build houses the, the way to well you know how to build houses and the thing is that we don't need houses so houses don't need wi-fi inherent to them they need more plugs okay that's straight up we need more like within modern society we need more like electrical plugs anybody who's lived in a house that's 40 years old knows this <laughs> but um they don't need fancy this they don't need fancy that if you you as a homeowner you can work your way up and buy those new windows yourself you can like i've done land, my own landscaping and my backyard looks great because i did it but i did that with the stuff i like you can give them the house and they can make of it what they will um but it doesn't need to be building houses though let's be clear it's about no, building no. Ten tenement buildings like high rises very very small apartments that people can afford to buy okay so but like affordable I housing doesn't mean some... you live like a king it means that you have a place to sleep so you can go to a job so you can make money and pay taxes okay i see what you're saying so like it's not well, like it's only worth 80 grand it's, it's not worth like tiny like because you can make a whole bunch like you take a block in uh in one of the like middle class neighborhoods and you make a house like a third or a fourth the size and it's their own little space it's maybe like two bachelor apartments and like it's a bachelor apartment on top of a bachelor apartment mm -hmm. but it's a house and you a fourplex a works like that too where you yeah, have stairs. like montreal's got tons of fourplexes where I there are think, stairs that go upstairs to two units yeah the stairs that and, go downstairs to two the units. things that those give you is the dignity where you can go into work and be like i came from my house even though it's a tiny little thing. Well, no, it's, it's but in economic terms. You can show up to a job interview if you have a place to shower. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes. You can schedule a job interview if you don't have to rely on somebody else to let you into their house to shower, or now, you don't have to rely on panhandling income so that you can go to a shelter the, the night place, before. The place like, where the government, I think, should come into this would be to say something like, no, like, coffin sleeping areas that shouldn't be a thing i don't <clears throat> want to see that being affordable housing where you like timeshare a bed with a tv in the wall like you see in like singapore or shangjun art but if if those people would otherwise be homeless that's preferable and if they don't want yes. to live there they could sell it and they would have cash money because it was something affordable to begin with. So rather than subsidizing rents and rather than allowing developers to zone off um, different uh, land areas so that sub, you know, the problem is sub, uh, suburban areas don't allow for high density or medium density complexes. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. So you're spreading out all of this development across houses 
and building luxury homes because that's the best way to make money on that property. But the effective thing to do for the economy, what benefits everybody, including taxpayers, including homeless people, and including companies that hire low-skilled labor, is to have these people have a home that they can go to. So having a a really high-density, small apartment, bachelor suites, kitchen, shower, you don't need to stay there for your whole life if you don't want to. No. But the point is, if you stay there for 10 years and work at McDonald's, you've got 50 grand that you didn't have before. And you had a place to live that you were otherwise spending all your money just to float that whole time. So for 10 years, not only are you more productive, you're less of a tax burden, you're contributing to taxes, and you have assets to retire on. So you don't have to rely on government old age security and pensions. Mm -hmm. So well, I think if we do this, like a lot of like we're saying, like I I I I really fear is just saying, oh well, you have a you have a coffin to sleep in, like be happy because I could fit like six houses in this one corner. I don't want like I don't want that. But if we do that and we like allow the market to make these things, I think what we'll find is that you'll end up getting a better quality of these smaller homes because. You know, people will be competing with each other to fulfill these contracts. And so you'll start getting like companies that will be able to make, oh, I can do it for this and I can make it good for this and they can be comfortable in this. And you might get new ideas for home designs that we hadn't thought of before with the new technologies we have, because we do have new uh, materials. We do have new um, building methods. We do have like machines that can build houses differently. And a company might come up with an idea. It's like, I can build 40 houses in like a day, have them be bigger and set, lay them out so that everyone can have the, I and we need to go underground, but don't worry. And I can do it cheaper because while he's competing against people who are like, I'm going to just put up a bunch of cubicles, make a bunch of money, sell it to the poor. But if you can provide more for less and make a run away with a profit, and still give let have people ha- have this tiny rent well then everyone's better off we've done this before with cars everyone can aff- like but we've done this before with housing too yeah we know this works because like vienna is a perfect example of it what it is it's a culture change from everybody expecting to have their own house and car to it being the norm that everybody has affordable housing from the government and that's just standard and the people who are part of affordable housing buying houses are participants to the construction and design of their own homes so it's almost no different from owning your own house that you built owning an affordable um publicly funded house that you're buying from the government and like you said with the contracts and stuff because these are um they're not as as lucrative these contracts as the luxury homes are you're not going to get cornered out by all the big players and developers in the market let them keep go building their luxury homes and everything you're going to have small businesses people who live in these affordable housing complex who are plumbers mechanics and electricians or whatever those people are going to bid on their own contracts and they'll have jobs that they don't have to pay out marketing services and stuff for that they can't afford if they're just starting out their small business as a professional so when you've got hvac technicians working on these affordable housing complexes because the property management companies outside of them don't want to don't want to bid on these low lucrative jobs other people are happy to make a 40 dollar an hour paycheck Like that's a good job to most people, but not to a developer. A developer subcontracts to somebody for $40 an hour, but the the contract they're getting is worth closer to 120 on a a unit per unit basis. 
uh, cost analysis. So housing is very, um, it's convoluted in the sense that people have a cultural approach to it. They think that ownership is all about them and what they earned. And because they worked hard, they think everything they had is from what they've earned. And they're negligent of, I don't want to say privilege, but we did talk about this in another, uh, uh, another episode called Village. But they're negligent of the resources and accesses that were availed to them just by mere luck of timing of birth mm. that got them to the point that they're at. And the fact that we know that it's unsustainable the way that it is, and we know that there is a sustainable way for it to work that benefits everybody because you're increasing the tax base and stimulating the economy without just handing money out to people in the way of a subsidy for rent or in the way of a tax relief to a landlord or in the way of a CERB check that just goes into people's pockets and write out to pay rent. Those are inefficient and ineffective ways of spending resources to fix a problem. We yeah. know this and we so, know the solution is out there that works. My only qualm is that I don't know if having the government just fund it because if, if, if it's affordable and the people are paying for it, just zone, the government would just zone an area for a certain type of housing and say, you're not allowed to build luxury homes here. You're not allowed to build like fancy, stupid, fancy condos that, you know, say, welcome to your home, you know, so-and-so every time you come home, like you're not allowed to build, like it has to be uh, a certain type of housing. And then, you know, companies will bid and then um, the people, and then the government will, screw off and then people will pay the companies for the condos or the apartments because well it's just take out the middleman why does the government have to pay for it when the people themselves are paying for it it seems like again another like but here's the, the reasoning money will can go directly to the people that are like here's the building. reasoning to it okay there's a business model in building and in construction right yeah. The government applies that business model in building affordable housing, but doesn't have the profit motivation or the shareholder obligations. They can build affordable housing the exact same way a construction company builds it, hiring a project manager, accountants, materials, doing cost assessments, mm. etc. The demand for luxury condos will still be there, but it will shrink when your affordable <laughs> housing begins to look like a luxury condo everyone's going to buy the affordable housing option. The difference is the people buying affordable housing options, they don't have the money down. They don't have a bank account with 60 grand in it for a down payment, or they don't have the credit to get the mortgage. The affordable housing is still a profitable business model. It doesn't end up costing taxpayers. It actually generates revenue in the long run because you're giving mortgages to the people who live there. You're also giving work to the people who service and maintain the building and those people yeah. pay taxes. So you're giving jobs to the people living in the places who would otherwise be homeless and without a job. So right. the money you're already spending on people is in excess to the money that you would be spending fixing the problem because it's a profit model that actually generates revenue building affordable housing. It's right. just not as it's just not as profitable as building luxury homes. Right. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm skeptical things. of the uh, no, no, I'm skeptical of the government's ability to actually get it built. Well, Vienna, uh, because there's just look well, at other countries who have done it. Like it's yeah, really I'm straightforward. At Netherlands like, have done it too. Like I'm looking at there are tons of countries five that, euros a month. It's not, but it's not about the money though, because the money is relative to the incomes of the population. Right. It is about housing time, availability. Like, People using in, government in Edmonton, paper. 
But in Edmonton here, we have uh, an affordable housing area that's been on the projects for uh, the longer it's not built, the less effect like it's not going to have. I'm and it also like, doesn't help if it's far away because people can't afford well, cars the if they don't the have city, a lot of money. But <laughs> it's um, like I'm, I, I don't know how much like you're poor, here's some money. And I'm just kind of like me who's trying to like make my own values kind of like you all. But I'm... I know people get lost in the thing, but if you like, you have to have these people buy it again, you can't just give it to them or it's going to be trashed. Like, and the people that, but people like you and me would have 10 years of equity though, right from our twenties, we would have been able to buy a place at 20 years old while we're working right out of high school. Mm -hmm. And while we're in school, we'd also be building equity in our home. And now 10 years later, you could have sold that affordable housing home the equity you put into it, either back to the government or to another person who yeah, can't afford housing. I still housing. don't know why the, the government, government. I don't still don't know why the money has to come directly from the government. Like, just let people make more value. <clears throat> because if you is, give it to companies, they're beholden to shareholders, and shareholders say if you have two options to build on this property, you have to do the profitable option. Well, then that's the it, problem. And make uh, private only construction companies do. That's it. what like, that's what a government thing is. That's what like, it is. I mean, well, yeah, but I mean, like, why not? like say no corporations like only uh uh but that's what we're talking about that's a publicly funded yeah. government project that's a but housing project government is like we're pretty much shareholders in the government and we keep getting involved too like i'm you can tell where i'm coming from from this just like let it let people make yeah, but it where you're coming from is just government is bad and scary and i'm saying it doesn't have yeah. to be like that that's just you've seen it so often that you're conditioned to think that that's the way things are. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is follow the exact model of a construction company, hire a project manager, have them mm-hmm. do all the hiring and separate it, right? Have right. an approved budget for that project manager who hires accountants and staff right. and have them hire other construction laborers and source your materials the exact same way as any other corporate. The difference is a corporation has to do the most pro- profitable option. Mm-hmm. So long as there's demand to build a luxury condo, they have to. They're not even allowed to do the socially responsible thing of building affordable housing. Well, it has to be made in under four years as well. It doesn't matter. Those are just no, regulations. No, I, no, I mean in under four years because if there's a change in government, they could be like, that's a stupid thing. Because any project, regardless of how good it is, is going to have someone come along and be like, that's a waste of money. We're going to do it this. Right, but that, that can't happen in this situation because you're separating the government's ability to influence the project. When you hire a project manager, the government is hands off. And it, okay. the onus is on that project manager not to be corrupt and steal the money. But if they do, they go to jail. Right. Because you know exactly who the person is who's responsible. What about like would so if it's separate, what about stuff like, you know, you have via rail giving money to people that don't work every day? Um, like that's you know, a union like, problem, though. Yeah. Every union has that problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> government's definitely a giant union problem but um like so like would the company be able to run its own affairs it would have to yeah that's the only way it works yeah and then what you do is you have different people managing different government projects and they're competing against each other to have the nicest building or like that perfect balance you know what i mean so some of them will put a, a pool on the roof others will have a garden at the center some will have some mixed commercials so there's a grocery store nearby some will have for senior citizens might want a clinic downstairs So you have like, this will be pre-planned before you build the complex, what it's geared and designed for. 
and the people that are already registered or available based on demographics and demand, that's who you build and cater the design towards. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. the project is already fulfilling its need before you, before you build it. Whereas yeah. with a corporation building or developing an area, they just know these things are going to be sold. And if they're not, they're insured. So they just build as many of them. Cookie hutter homes, just okay. as far as the eye can see. And you plug up the land because that's a profit model. So the, the money would be coming from the government to a, <coughs> essentially what would be independent private. projects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So that's where we were. I you hire the, the same talent, the so same education, you get the my, same sources of materials, the same construction labor, but the difference is you don't have shareholders. And you would have the, the I'm getting like, to me, the plans would have to come from like, uh, competing bids. So you get companies coming up with like, here's my plan for a seniors or a seniors home, or uh, here's my plan for a low income, high intensity commercial area yeah. uh, in europe they so, have public competitions so they ask well, that's like, what i was that's what i was thinking architects and everything submit their proposals and their designs and they win competitions and then that's the design chosen and right. then the person putting in a bid to manage the project is usually some university graduate trying to make a name for themselves to get hired into a big nice company the first thing you can do is have a really successful low budget project Okay. So like so the education and process argument. itself is beneficial to the econ economic development of the country and the resources at hand. I'm going to make an argument against it that I, this doesn't come from me believing in this argument, but I can imagine it. Um, why would I let you do this? If you're going to, this will end up lowering my rents. The coalition of Edmonton rental owners comes together and say, and tries to block this, uh, this project because you know they see that they want more competition from uh their things they don't want to have to compete against each other for the rents they want they they want their they want handouts they well they want handouts but they want they prefer a situation where the renters are competing with each yeah, other they want the handout them. that's yeah. the difference yeah exactly. so they want the rent subsidies and the tax relief and the incentives to produce really expensive stuff for high profit margin right. activities so you get but they don't want other people rental. to get a handout for free they don't want yeah, free education or free health care you know what i mean you want like, well the rental owners want to don't want to have to do as much work because if people if the rental like if they have to compete for renters which they should be doing which this like if there's more housing for people in the lower strata then they have more of a choice well i can go live in the new project so what i'm saying is the people that are making more. that are argument so, are contradicting themselves because what they're no, saying is they don't want people getting handouts and then they're saying please give us more handouts I, we want higher rents because we just want higher rents not no people. that's what i'm saying it's like so i'm saying like they're like they're not this isn't a logical argu argument they're they're protecting their bad business because they mm -hmm. don't want work to do but i you know, and again, they have to because of a profit model with shareholders that you're beholden to. The shareholders tell you you have to seek profit. The corporation has to be profitable. Mm. Ergo, the corporation has to push for subsidies and higher well, rents. Not even That's their like business. corporations, but like private landowners too. Like my last one was worried because he had to like actually do work and paint his uh, apartment. So like when, when rents go down, which they did in 2020 for then like spring 2020, they went down quite considerably. And in uh, fall 2019, I argued, uh, I negotiated a, a, a much lower rent um, in my place because I, I was looking at the market and we were looking around saying, I can get this, you're going to pay us. Like, I'm only paying this a month. And he was like, oh, okay, because I could have just moved and made less a month. Um, 
And so this would force, like in the end, this would essentially force all the other rental and housing and um, to spruce their stuff up. Like he, when I left that apartment, what essentially he said, like I did a bunch of work on the walls to get my damage deposit back. He's like, oh, now I don't need to paint, but there's like spackle all over the walls. I'm like, and I looked at him like, ass, because now he's going to try, he's going to do as little work as possible, but it will force this competition from these new projects will force all the other places to put flower pots out front and cut the lawn on a regular basis. And then you start getting the entire city, you know, uh, you know, broken windows theory starts going away because now the windows stop being broken as much. And yeah, so, so, so basically what you're saying is the rents will go down and that's true. They will lose money on rents. And the reason that affects them is because that means they overpaid for the properties that they planned on renting out. So that is a problem for them, but these are, they're trying to squeeze their renters for everything they can get. Yeah. But these affordable housing projects don't get built overnight. You don't just get a hundred thousand of them because you start building them. Well, it, I'm talking about the take, existing, I'm talking about the existing. Right. Rental. So it's going to take 30 years for that shock to ever hit them in their rental incomes. And by then those houses will already be old. Unless you use new technology to just print them. Oh yeah, there you go. Well, they do have Print 3D homes. printing houses. Yeah, and like you just print them out, go and it takes That's what I mean. We have the, the we have the technology, and we have iterable solutions that we can, we can build them. <laughs> we can build them. The, the thing that we're not doing is one zoning because suburban zoning is a huge problem. Not letting high density housing in uh, a suburban area is a huge problem. Um, number yeah, one. Red. The, the second is people's access to credit. So young people, for instance, or homeless people don't have a bank account for a down payment they can put on two months rent, which you need just to get an apartment. Or they're only using credit. <laughs> right. So if you have the government similar to CMHC, what they already do, but if you have a government with a, a homeless housing project, have that banked into the equity of their homes, these people have like a little line of credit they can draw for a hundred bucks here and there when they need some food and they're short on rent or whatever for a few weeks or months, mm -hmm. or when they have like a life event, like a child or a marriage or, or something like that. Life but the event. point is you're getting them started. And without getting them started, you're wasting a whole lifetime of productivity and tax revenue. You're losing way more in the long run. And knowing that quantifiably is stupid not to act on it mm -hmm. just for a temporary momentary benefit. So yeah, our corporations look really strong when a developer is making huge revenues on their rents. And that looks good on the country because they're making a lot of money. But that doesn't benefit people if they're getting tax reductions and tax rebates and subsidized rents. You're losing money. You're drawing money out of the government to pay for these people who are already making a profit. Right. And if it's they do a little more work, they can make a ton more money and yeah. everyone's better off. Like, we're not saying like, well, you know, you should change your business model because, you know, you need, we don't like corporations. No, we, I actually think. I love it. It's just, I like it, but, and I want you to make more money and here's a way you can make tons of money. Here's the other point I wanted to get at. The corporate tax structure is the other problem. So you're saying any private landlords that you dealt with, right? Most of them are incorporated. You don't maybe know it and it's not up front, uh, but most of them, of them have a numbered company. And the point is because yes. if they have a, if they have a regular salary on their own and they're renting out two houses on the side, let's say the income you get from a corporation is only taxed at like 18% plus you get all your expense write-offs. But if you're a general homeowner, you might just get like a first time buyer's tax credit. It's like a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or something like that. Like the personal Ooh. tax credits you get for business activity in 
the asset management sector is minuscule compared to the corporate tax incentives that you get for just having a numbered corporation that owns the houses that you pay rent into. Well, because you can choose when to draw the money out and you can choose to draw it out and put it into something that's tax deferred. Whereas everybody else who's privately doing it on their personal uh, accounts and statements, they're all paying general tax, general income tax of like 40%. Like, how is that fair? You're hitting on another solution that I've encountered in actually my everyday life uh, because I run a business and I'm hoping to start another business uh, once COVID chills out um, because my uh, customer base is most at risk population. But um, I still feel lazy about that. But um, what the corporate tax structure and a lot of these other things is that it makes it very hard to begin a any entrepreneurial venture like and a lot of people from the bottom like you know when they're starting from like my position or even further down and they've got an idea we should be making it as easy as possible for that Mm -hmm. business to start get going gain steam fail it should be harder start up again because the bigger you are the harder it should be and the smaller you are the easier it should be to get that's how a really functioning economy would work to get a well to get a corporate name in edmonton i went into the registry or something to get a registered or uh thing or something they said okay we want to need 1600 bucks and i was like nuts to that uh so and you well again if we start making houses it's not just gonna lower like it's gonna lower all retail but like i don't really need a place to work from i just needed i just needed a microphone the the people who can pay to afford your services you want them to have jobs so that you have customers oh yeah that's what we're getting at here the point is we're building a base of customers rather than just helping people get one customer afforded at a time yeah rather than giving them a little coupon for each purchase give people jobs so that they can afford to purchase a whole bunch of stuff and i'm not saying just give it to them i'm saying people who are hardworking like you and i who just didn't have a huge bank account when we were 20 years old give them something to start from so they can start businesses and draw from equity that they build up from paying rent and an affordable rent so they can save money to start a business the reason why it's hard to start a business is because We've never been able to save twenty, thirty thousand dollars in cash while paying rent. It's yeah. just not been physically possible based on the on our income levels at the time. Which is strange because we know that like if we were to get our business going, twenty, thirty thousand dollars would be doable. It would mm-hmm. be an expense, but it would be doable. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of like and, and every three years, if you failed a business, all you'd have to do is save up for three more years and try again. Whereas now it's like a life crippling event. If if and your business fails and you put everything into it and mortgaged your home, you're done. Honestly, I think I want to do a I want to do an entire episode on entrepreneurship and how we need that to get that culture of like I got hit, I'm getting back up going to start another business. That's what made America strong in the 60s, yes. 70s and 80s is that well, type of mentality where everybody and anybody could start a business. Yeah, and like it's like even in the earlier like not even just the 60s, 70s and 80s like everything from like post bellum where they're like we need to rebuild everything cuz we destroyed our own economy uh, mm-hmm. freeing the slaves and we need to get everything on track get inventing people get going like we make it easy to get patents going we make it easy to get uh all this stuff and that like the barriers like we need people not to just 
the, my problem, I think the solution is, is that we need to allow people to fail right now. If the government puts money into something, uh, there's a lot of expectations. It's like, well, this thing you put money into, um, failed. It's like, yeah, you, you like, you're only going to get maybe 5% of the ideas out there that actually succeed. But again, when we go back to the scientific thing, that iterative process, we're passively through making these businesses by trying out new designs of homes by doing this we are passively doing a scientific process in the economy without thinking about it we just um seeing what will work uh with regard to because like we don't we can't know how like a mass of three million let alone three billion people will engage with a new idea with a new thing and it might be completely stupid um now the other thing is one of the solutions is stop funding like diversity and inclusion initiatives and finding out the gender of penguins or and that again is an example of trying to out uh affect the outcome rather than fixing the system yeah when you start setting quotas on the people who need to be represented in in your board of directors as like either being brown or yellow or east asian or whatever you're you're not fixing the problem at all it's not even addressing the problem what it's doing is putting band-aids on the end and saying see look we put lipstick on the pig and now the pig can kiss you well a good example of this is the again uh, i was just reading something and they going over the microchip industry where you know you have intel just throwing tons of money into all these projects figuring it out like not not all of those projects paid off but they threw, almost like, none of them in the last 10 years have yeah they've been really really struggling but they know and like you know ibm amd uh and uh global Intel. foundries yeah they're all trying to figure samsung. out samsung they're throwing most of their profits in and, some, and then some going in because they know that whoever gets that next processor idea the one who innovates next will be you know blindingly more uh but rich here's the, the issue with the one, chip industry benefit. everybody yeah. is relying on amd's process because they have the highest uh density transistor process so yeah. the, the the ultraviolet lithography that they use with that like suspended tin so that they can focus a laser light to imprint the 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 masks onto the chips that make the rivets that they can drop all their circuitry into yeah. um that process is so refined by amd just based on the size and scale of its node but i mean 99 percent of all electronics don't need that only microprocessors and gpus need that density of um of transistors because all they're doing is making a whole bunch of matrix nodes or a, a cores and they're just packing them together but, but intel makes awesome memory and samsung makes super fast uh storage devices like ssds so like there's different applications to all of the different types of technologies and where intel's failed is in their culture their culture of um seeking profit and muscling out other companies and just buying ip rather than uh research and development on their own and this is a perfect yeah. example why we should be we should be promoting and incentivizing small businesses and making it easy to run small businesses and the large ones like AMD and Intel. And we should be making it harder for them to get bigger so that they really have to focus on the things that they're doing rather than just muscling everybody out of the industry or trying to bully people through the well, courts. Here's get, what I'm uh, thinking is that if we let, if we, patents. yeah, if we let like them, patents get, are a huge problem. Yeah. That's a, that's an entire different. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if, the thing is, is that if we allow, if we make it easy for entrepreneurship and new ideas to get to the market, and let's just like lower the barriers for entry, 
to get these things going and let a whole bunch of things fail. Because the thing is, is that all these little guys act as like a separate independent corporation, not like as a corporation, but like they're another body in the market. Mm -hmm. And the big companies are, um, what do you call it? They're, um, they're cannibalizing all the small ones. They're, they're, they're cannibalizing all small ones because they don't need to innovate because it's hard to get, because they don't see the, this other body as a threat, but the other body is definitely a threat to them because some guy could come out of nowhere and, you know, throw them out of the market. So what they're doing is they're cannibalizing. So if we allow, if we make it so that, you know, you know, these new, if we give the, these independents and these smaller guys more power to become, you know, medium to large size guys, like they will, like, we need to let, again, we need to let the big guys fail, mm -hmm. which is a big thing. Cause if they fail, then we, then you're forcing a bunch of little guys to, you know, fight with their ideas and one the best idea will come out and become the new big guy because big guys get old big guys get you know they're you know the guys you get a you get a ceo who's not like we need to innovate who's like well, we need to maintain the power we have well and then you get a stagnant company and, and it's so a then, stagnant society like everybody yeah. doesn't benefit from it when you've so got the, the what i'm saying is that the little guys like the the little guys will all all these little guys coming up and uh, will provide that fear for these big companies to innovate or die. Because if they don't, some guy's going to come out of nowhere with Google and just throw them out of business. Or Right like, now they're feasting on them. That's the yes, thing. Like Facebook yeah. will just buy Instagram. Uh, Microsoft will just buy WhatsApp and GitHub and all of the things that are super productive awesome. and really beneficial to all people. <laughs> yeah. There's these giants like Apple and Microsoft well, and EA Intel bought all like they were. But AMD's actually developing their process, whereas mm -hmm. Intel's trying to buy small companies that have patents on processes. You know what I mean? Someone like, like one IBM is beneficial, has stagnant and not stagnant, and then stagnant again, and then tried and then got out of stagnancy and then went stagnant again like a couple times because their culture changed over and over again. Yeah, like and AMD 70s, used to be so far behind Intel. Like they used to be in competition ever since I first started uh, following tech in like. Oh, 2001 but like my first laptop was developed by a guy at 80 uh the ibm and or is it xerox either way it was um alan k uh because he wanted to make computers for children so we came up with this idea and it was the idea essentially became the laptop and what he ended up with is he ended up going like to another company and <laughs> making his thing there and he got the, the i think it was the xerox alto well, that's what just happened with Apple too. So yeah. Apple, Apple lost a couple of their engineers. So they've lost like their next two years worth of products are really going to suffer because they've lost the talent that actually built their last M1 chip, but was super um, breakthrough, right? Those guys so now that they've gone to Samsung or Huawei or some other company like that, they, they've got all the background knowledge and engineering expertise to build the, the step up from that. Whereas Apple has lost the, the expertise to even uh, refine that one product they already have. So like, when you have companies this big and all they're doing is training knowledge and information rather than um, innovating and developing new products, you hear all the time politicians talking about like stimulating innovation. You do that with rewarding creativity. 
You don't do it by rewarding people with copyrights and patents and stuff. Knowledge should just be open source. And the reason I say that is because that's what stimulates competition. Mm-hmm. All these capitalists love talking about competition when they're, when they're ahead and then they want handouts to help, you know, get subsidies for, for when they're falling behind. But their own failures should not be borne on the taxpayer. The taxpayer's job should be in, to encourage broadening the tax base. You want more people paying taxes. You don't want to subsidize the biggest people to pay the least amount of taxes. You want to make the most amount of people productive enough to to generate revenue. Mm -hmm. And that's the social function of supporting small businesses. And I'm not against corporations. I'm saying everybody should have their own small corporation. I think everybody should be have an incorporated company that offer services, whether it's gutter cleaning or uh, tutoring services or shoveling driveways in the winter, um, fishing, hunting, whatever you do on the side as a hobby, you should be able to sell stuff with the same tax benefits that you give multi-billion dollar corporations who aren't even producing valuable goods. Well, because I think when, if one of those companies gets good and then gets big, that should be definitely like, we have to have aspiration in our society. Cause like, well, that's why innovation. So I can become rich. Well, why do you want to become rich? Because I like make, I like doing this thing. And it'd be nice to he like recompense it. You know, I like, you have to aspire to something. You're not just like, yeah, you should be, well, we should be doing something. Okay. that thing. But like, to some extent that's, you know, you are doing some things. Well, why? Cause I want to have kids and I want to be able to feed those kids and I want them to be able to save your legacy and all that, which is, yes, it's important, but like, uh, but you're also developing an intelligent society when everybody is a small business owner, they all have this background knowledge of experience and expertise they take into their next job. Mm-hmm. So even if they wind up working for somebody their whole life, the point is they go to that job knowing how to run a business. And that's a benefit to the entire country because that person, that individual in that job can innovate because they have uh, a background, yeah. some fundamental underlying principles from which to dwell uh, inferences and new ideas and creativity from. That's yeah, innovation. I think this isn't, this doesn't like, a lot of times we see, and if you watch the last Canadian debate, don't, it was cancer. Um, <laughs> in the, most of it, if you get past the like, um, diversity inclusion and the, the the nonsense on the environment um it's like they're talking about the environment but they're not talking about the environment um if i'm not saying global like uh global warming isn't happening you're I'm just saying, saying the way they were talking about it was they, they weren't worse. yeah i'm just like i'm a tree hugger if you've ever met me <laughs> i'm literally growing three trees right now at my home uh because i want to and um um what i'm saying is that you can't just a lot of it was just well we're gonna throw money at the indigenous we're gonna throw money at this and what we're saying is like to some extent yeah money needs to be thrown mm-hmm. and the, the the government is good at the actual throwing of the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and but the thing is is that they have no aim um, and they, well, the thing is they don't, they don't focus on revenues. They don't, they don't worry at all about, no, they don't worry about where that money's coming from. Cause it's just a lot of people are just saying, well, we'll just get the government to pay for it. Well, where's that money coming from? And, this, and that's that- what people wanted when they said that we want government run like a business. They want the government to spend money on things that generate more revenue, more tax mm-hmm. money. It's and- not to say they want the government to make up jobs like equality officers to just walk around and like safety officials that sit there with harnesses measuring people's pant lengths when they're going up on a on a rig. Had that happen to me. At a, yeah, exactly. Like we have all these make work projects that are supposed to be good for the for the 
for the people, the population. Keynesian economics. But is... an actual good make work project is like free education. It's helping small businesses. And I don't mean just helping them with tax subs. I mean, making it easy for small businesses to start, period. Not, not just giving them a resource center and hiring somebody to sit in a resource center and telling them, here, it's still hard, but here's how hard it is. You yeah. know what I mean? My like, thought is like on education, I'm still, I can't get around to free education. I know, you know, the investment regards it, but I think. But not everyone will go. No, and I don't think everyone needs to go. Right. But I think everyone, I think like free libraries, yes, free internet cafes everywhere. So people can go out. Oh, you know what? Yeah, there you go. No, you have to pay for university and it has to be expensive because it's, you're, you're, you're putting investment. Here's a solution. Free access to the stuff that the universities are using. Cause if you go to university, you have to pay to talk to, you know, the people who have spent their entire lives talking. You have to pay for those buildings. You have to pay for those services. You, now you don't probably don't have to pay that much. It's definitely overpriced. You know, you could probably cut all those stupid, like, <clears throat> Uh, committees and but you just said it has to be expensive. <laughs> well, expensive on the market value it has to be an expense, but it doesn't have to like put you into poverty. And okay, let me okay, yes, okay, I'm requalifying it. Yeah, you because right pay- now you can't even go bankrupt and lose that loan, so that's a lifetime debt no. that benefits zero people. Absolutely right. nobody benefits so, from a debt you can't walk away from. You but you have to, and here's the thing that we can do with technology and i guess this is a solution from my end i guess wasn't expecting to do this this is chris's episode but you make university cheaper obviously because it's bloated and nonsense and it's way too expensive for what it is definitely but libraries i think are a bit of a solution now libraries as they exist are kind of becoming more and more redundant every day but you have the books available. You have a broader array of books. You have more libraries, easier access, longer hours. And one of the biggest things is that the libraries will act as hubs for free internet, free access uh, for everyone. So, you know, it's not just like free crappy Starbucks Wi-Fi where everyone goes and writes <coughs> their screenplay that no one's ever going to, anyway. <laughs> but you have, instead of a library, so you have that big library building with all the books, all the books, as many books as possible. So people can have as much access to the information as possible. And you fund not the fees, but you fund the access to the journals. You fund access to the magazines. You fund access to the papers. You fund access to the information itself. And then what you do is the library becomes this giant computing center. You just go in and log onto the computer like you would at a university. If you go to a university library, like there's so many computers just sitting there waiting to be used. Honestly, what I was doing, and you can do this, is you can go to the university, ask for a free code, and they'll give you a code for that day and you can just freely use their things. I wasn't a U of A uh, person, but I was just going in saying like, I wanna use your computers and they would give me a free code for that day and I'd just go talk to them every day. It was a bit of a nuisance, but if we do this for the entirety of the public and have these just computer rooms and you can go on there and play video games if you want, you know, within reason, and you can, they're open 24 seven because education doesn't sleep. But, and yes, it's going to be expensive power. It's going to be expensive computing. It's going to be expensive Wi-Fi. But that's where the money should go is to be to providing these. And they should be 
right next to these housing projects that we we're talking about because the thing stopping people isn't access to these uh institutions you can get in like i got into u of m they didn't blink at me um because i just waited till i was 23 or 24 to apply the thing that's stopping people are the fees and the thing is that you don't need and i think chris is a good example of this and like i'm studying my butt off just getting books and i'm not even in an institution anymore you just need to have access and if you make computing and uh the source material and not just computing but like you put autocad on there you put like all these you put photoshop on there you put um uh all the tools that people may need to practice in order to get a job um or to uh try something new or develop something so they can just instead of like sitting at home they can just go to the library and do the preliminary work there put together a thing or you know if they even if they just need microsoft office to put a resume together that's where to do it in addition these places can have you know teachers whether they're volunteer or not you know you could have someone really like i'm a resume specialist and they just see people and you'll probably find that like having a resume specialist at the at not the university but at the library uh which is just able to walk to would be a very helpful thing and i think that because people aren't we think people are stupid and this is this isn't right because a lot of what people do is self-guided and if you give people an interest if even if they're interested in cars they'll want to research it the thing is is that we have access and you can't access these things that people need to read or pe the programs that you need are like how much is uh how much is you know anything by adobe is just prohibitive for anyone who wants to get into it so you and it's subscription so if it takes yes. you a long time to learn it it costs you more to learn it because it's over time so i think if the government pays the subscriptions to all this stuff that we can't get to <clears throat> the barriers to entry like then we have to put limits on the subscription fees because like yes. if the government's going to blank check everything that um these services offer then you're basically picking and choosing which companies get a payday and which ones don't I don't think a subscription for software should even be legal. That's an illegal way of promoting a product that if, if it's not a service, if a computer is doing it, a service is when a human does something, when a computer does something, it's a product like a TV turns on. I don't have to call somebody at Samsung and say, Hey, can you turn my TV on? It's not a service. It's my TV. So putting no. software on my TV that tells me how to use my TV should be illegal. If I didn't ask for YouTube, I should be able to delete the app on my TV. But these smart TVs are being sold below cost so that they can sell these services that are built into them that you can't erase. And that's fine if it's upfront. If it's an upfront cost to your TV, say, hey, you get a discount of 200 bucks because Hulu's on it. Um, fine. But if you're selling this stuff under the table, you're having the government pay for like journal articles, all of a sudden you're going to have all these people just publishing journals just for the sake of volume because people have to look it up. And if they get paid per click, it's just going to be a volume game. If they get paid per citation, it's just a citation game. They already do this with scholarly articles. And we had yeah. a whole episode on funding that revolves oh. around this type of issue that we have. I must have ranted for education. an hour and a half that day. <laughs> but see, I don't agree entirely with your process, but that I do believe that your idea would be an incremental yeah. um, prog One progressive thing benefit. What you have to do is... Um, what we have to do is you do could put a bunch of you could Well, you could put a bunch of money also into advertising to create 
a culture of uh, like to recreate library culture uh, mm-hmm. maybe because like a lot of inner city people do actually use the libraries i remember in winnipeg like there was always inner city people in the library oh i always used it yeah and i didn't read books even. i just went there for the services <laughs> that's one thing i noticed was um people were using the services and if you expand the modern services instead of treating it like this is a repository of knowledge like the 18th century like everyone can get a scroll like no this needs to be a modern facility but in addition to that the library is something new go to the library you want to do this go to the library you want to read go to the library you need textbooks go to the library and there should be seminars and workshops just like regular because people who are starting out teaching for example would be great to start their practicums in libraries as a social service. And that's the repayment you get from giving them free education, is the people who graduate then become civil service workers temporarily while they're getting their degree. Either it's through research or from helping out at libraries or from restocking books or from running workshops and seminars. Mm -hmm. All these things can be done at the library, but Mm -hmm. that's the cost that you're getting back from the money you're saving from giving people education for free. So I'm not saying give people a free lunch. Education should be free. I'm saying education should be free because it's more profitable for everybody. Having an intelligent population necessarily means they will be more productive and better at any job they do. Yeah. And I think the problem I have with like, I have free tuition is that they want me to, they want to pay for the university tuition. So we're funding people who already have access to these like massive institutions. What we don't, that's not what we need. You're already rich, pay for your education, buddy. Mm -hmm. We want people who wouldn't have been able to go to start reading more. We want people who might not have even thought of like dabbling in, uh, I don't know, biology uh, or chemistry to you'd be like huh i can just go and read it up or or, or you want them to business... overhear a workshop that's going on so they just wander by because they're already yeah. at the at the library and they just and wander then you in. put ads for the workshops on billboards like oh mm-hmm. so and so is coming to this library free access and it's just like all of a sudden the government's like we need a library stadium <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you that- pay independent graphic designers who are on social assistance, people who are on EI or people who are off work or who are upgrading their skills to learn how to do graphic design while on EI, you mm-hmm. get them to do the advertising. You get one of them to be the labor to put up the billboard or one of them to go to a company and do the purchasing and accounting for the government. You know what I mean? You put people to work while you're giving them a handout and then this it is, pays for itself in return. This is what I didn't understand about the university system is that they have people in software engineering. Yeah. But then they outsource their system. And their system it's, is so terrible. There's right? three separate websites with three separate logins and one of them I can send email from, but I can't receive email too, but it doesn't tell you that. The other one that you log into can send and receive emails, but it can't tell you anything about enrollment. The other one you go into with enrollment, you can change your email, but it doesn't change your email address on the other two sites. It's just like an internal, if if there's a fire, we'll email you here. Like it's so convoluted and unnecessarily redundant. How much... One of the things, oh, sorry, yeah, the example. The, the, soft, the software at the, universities, the, but it's not just them, it's the all universities. Center. You remember at the tech center how they had a cafeteria? Mm-hmm. And run by students. Run by the students who were in the food or the red. Culinary seat. arts. Yeah, the culinary arts. Mm-hmm. And you could actually get your car fixed 
at the uh, power mech area and you could bring in your computer to the network even though you shouldn't and it worked fantastic because the, ch- the food was cheap sometimes it wasn't great but usually it was pretty the, good at the end of the year it was really good. Oh, at the end of the year it was fantastic you're getting like lasagnas and like fresh baked uh meatloafs and moussakas yeah. like for three bucks two bucks like and they ran uh cadets if you're in america cadets is like army for kids it's not a bad fascist thing it's, it's like boy scouts just, i guess it's like boy scouts but they actually try and it's all yeah. led by the it's a, if there's no there's no scout leaders it's only the cadets running it and um it's a great program but they would actually that same culinary arts people would feed the cadets and all their like mess dinners and stuff like that so like they were they were working they were doing their job and this is and but the thing is this is a i don't want to get off because we're just <laughs> uh this is a solution we have to and we're thinking about it aside from just throw money at just throw more money at the universities the universities are the institutions of learning it's like no they're not yeah and we paying more doesn't fix the problem of them being overpriced yeah, that's pay the point. better <laughs> like, yeah. and like the libraries are an institution that you have that you can expand to do something or call it something different um although i feel like the marketing crew would just name it something stupid but, I but like then you got to remember all these different names and stuff just have like and a place for education that's publicly funded is a library, period. Just have yeah. that. Whether and it's got tons of books and workshops or internet or whatever, no matter what's have, in it, and make put all them, of that stuff into one place. And make them available. Like, and it's, it's, it's already there. I send even my rich students, like most of my students are quite wealthy. I send them to the library because like part of doing a paper, part of reading a book is finding the book. And I like, everyone's like, Oh no, you have to make it easier on them. It's like, no, I have to make it as hard as possible. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. the thing is is that for me to be running a seminar, um, like I send them to the thing to get the, Oh, it's a popular book. You'll be able to find it at the library. They have to go in and do that. And then they're interacting with people. And then, you know, you go in and you get that, that what happens is you, the citizenry will get used to going in and finding something. And I think the other thing is, is that once, if this starts getting off, like if it starts taking off a bit, what happens is you start getting private investment and that's not a bad thing. So to offset some of the cost or something, you know, uh, like that wouldn't be a bad thing either because like you start being like, oh, hey, I'll invest the acquisition of, I don't know. And see, that investment would be real. It wouldn't be like a 42 times multiple PE. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be just because people are being like, I'm going to buy 5,000 computers for the city of Edmonton. Well, why? Because you're not just buying stocks for the sake of stock values going up. You're buying stocks based on the productivity of the company for the shares that you're buying. So Mm -hmm. even if your markets go down, they're going down because they were inflated. That's the definition of a bubble. They have to go down because we're overpaying for things that aren't producing things. What you want is the market to stabilize and then move incrementally. Having super cycles of boom and bust is not productive. It does not stimulate growth or economic development. It makes some people poor and it makes rich people buy up cheap stuff, uh, cheap assets when other people go bankrupt. And it makes them even richer when they survive a super cycle. And then when they're people causing get poor, they perpetual just say, well, we just poverty. Need more inflation. <laughs> yeah, but they're causing perpetual poverty by not fixing a system that's systemically flawed and encourages poverty and income disparity. And that income disparity, the solution to that is not to take from rich people. 
I, like, I want to be really, really clear about that. It is not about taking anything away from rich people just for the sake of rich people being rich. There is nothing wrong with being insanely, obscenely wealthy if you earn it. The fact of the matter is the people who are insanely or obscenely wealthy didn't earn it. They earned some of their wealth, but the, the, the exponential growth of their wealth was not earned. And that money comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from nowhere. Money doesn't evaporate when it's a cost spent. A cost spent is still income in somebody else's balance sheet. They're the beneficiaries of the results of, well, I'm not, I'm not even saying like they did hard work, but they're the beneficiaries of the results of their hard work. But at the same time, if you win the lottery and the society's in like take from the rich, well, fuck you, I guess. Here's an extreme example. (laughs) Like it's a caricature, but like if I win a marathon, it's a big deal to win a marathon and run faster than everybody else that was running that marathon. It is not worth the entire wealth of the entire country for that year to pay me just for winning a race because a race isn't that important. So if your share prices go up eight quarters in a row, you're not that important that you deserve a huge pay bonus on top of your $800,000 salary because your share prices only went up because you exploited other people. Like for instance, by lobbying government to get uh, preferable tax uh, uh, assignments or something like that. Right. I wouldn't or say you're getting, every you're getting case, lucrative though. contracts or you're charging too much for tuition. Cause like, like not, and I'm not saying like price goes much. up cause you innovate and you come out with a better product and everyone like yeah so so like if there's a product then you buy it from some small small person like you buy their patent or their technology that they're developing you don't deserve all the money and benefit from that in perpetuity you the person who invented it should but because you can't trace that back to the person like reasonably or feasibly there should be no patent it should be open public knowledge maybe you can reserve the patent for five years if you can prove that you had expenses in developing it but when drug companies are just slightly modifying a drug they've already got they patent that and then they re-release that to get an extension on their five years and every five years they get an extension on the same drug because they're only slightly modifying the molecule that literally helps nobody absolutely nobody benefits from that except for a company who's already making more money than they earned and who's not paying the same amount proportionately in taxes as everybody else. Your revenues are going down while you're extracting resources from the people who would otherwise be contributing revenues through taxes. Right. That's the problem. It's like you get get stuff like, um, uh, like in entertainment where you have the rights to something for a certain amount of years (laughs) and the patents last for us. Now this is a reward for actually coming up with a thing, I guess, but, and that's that's valuable to some extent but like to have them last and to have them recur like you said is a bit much like you used to be like you were able like if you come up with a story or something you get it for like seven years and they just kept extending extending and now it's like um for art it's you know now it's 75 years past the death of the original creator and it's just like well boy that's never going to get expanded on but the thing with that type of work though is that you can sell it cheap you can sell licenses right yeah but patents like they they I, i i'm not against patents i think that patents shouldn't be as restrictive like i think they should be i think they should uh like you should get like I built a thing. Let's 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 corner the market. But you only allowed to corner the market for a couple years, 
or and it's going to wear off. You get that inherently because you're the only person with the tools and equipment and mm -hmm. and schema to build this thing, right? Like a, a chip through AMD. Even if you gave your entire process to Intel so that they could copy it and make the exact same thing, by the time they build the hardware and actually get practice and good at making the exact same thing AMD's already made, 2 years have already passed. Well, the like time that, happens regardless. If you invent a thing and another company comes out makes it better, cheaper, and has a better marketing campaign, then that's they're just a better company than you. And right, but here's the problem. AMD is not developing the machines and stuff to make this process. They're not doing that work. There is one company in like Germany that does all the machines in the world, and they cost like $100 million or $250 million each or something like that. That company that nobody hears about is single-handedly cornering the entire world's microchips market. And that's not beneficial to anybody having somebody own the proprietary knowledge of that equipment, even though everybody knows how to build it, but they're not allowed to without paying a license. It's like um, NVIDIA trying to buy ARM, ARM. Like ARM was like an open source company. It was owned by uh, people, but they were just letting, or RISC-V, they were letting people use the architecture and the instruction sets because Intel wouldn't let people use x86 instruction sets without a license. That doesn't help anybody. If Intel is not capable of making a better chip because they keep screwing up their FinFET process and other people want to create chips, but they can't use the instruction set because the word copy and move are patented, like that's retarded. Absolutely nobody benefits from not being able to use a copy command in a micro uh, architecture sense, like mm -hmm. a hardware coded, um, not algorithm, but like uh, instruction set, like just to move things in and out of memory to print them on screen. You need to have a basic set of take this bit, flip it, take this bit, move it over here, take these bits, incre increment by one. Those instructions are patented and that's delayed the progress of all technological development since the 90s because Intel just owned it. And we had to pay licenses. Any other company that builds a better chip has to pay a license for it. But mm -hmm. they didn't invent the move command. They didn't invent the save command. Like they just own the patent on it. And Microsoft did the same with their software. They didn't own spreadsheets. Everybody had bookkeeping paper and ledgers for hundreds of years. They've been using it for over, probably over a thousand years. Uh, the rice markets in Japan were using it trading yeah. uh, rice. So if we've had general ledgers all this time, how do you own the proprietary knowledge of a spreadsheet and then pay a tuition to go to school and have them force you to use a licensed software for a well, spreadsheet like development just to pass the course? Like. like Adobe is probably the yeah, worst. Yeah, it's criminal. Like, <laughs> Adobe is the worst for it. Well, so well, uh, when I bought, I actually bought, you know, RIP me, but I actually bought Microsoft Office so I could use it uh, for my work. And they wanted me to buy like Windows or Microsoft 360 or something or 365, mm -hmm. which is a subscription thing. And I was just like, that's not a good deal <laughs> because I own my copy of Microsoft Office right now. I can use it whenever I want. It doesn't expire. I don't want to pay a yearly subscription like to it because it's just that becomes an expense instead of a one-time expense. And I can move on, not worry about it, do that. But like Adobe took that to ungodly like what is it now like it's twenty thousand dollars i think or something for a yearly subscription for professional uh uh adobe premiere their their video editing software and it is really good don't get me wrong <clears throat> it's excellent for scrubbing through video for the effects the delays the render times are all better the efficiency on the processor power and the gpu utilization are way higher on adobe software nothing against the product 
But to charge 20 grand for licensing just for use, that's ridiculous. 20 grand, you could buy a crane that builds an actual building. You can do something productive for 20 grand. You could house somebody for a year for 20 grand. Yeah. Like a life, a human being's life could be changed for the amount of money they charge for one subscription service for a software so that people can make YouTube videos. Productivity wise, it's not beneficial to protect their rights to patents on that. And that's what I think is part of the law. The law and the court system have to deal with that because they've got incompetent committees that are managing things like cryptocurrency and cyber threats and cybersecurity. Uh, we've got people making trade agreements that know nothing about um, currency exchange. Like, how do you make international trade agreements without understanding Forex markets? And granted, Forex markets are complicated. I spent years studying them and trading, but that's no excuse for a law making committee to be ignorant of them. Like if you're going to be part of that committee, fine, be there for six or 10 years, but get knowledgeable, get good, like get yeah. to know your, your shit. You can't just make laws and guess like what cyber is like the, the cyber threat. What is the cyber threat? What is a bot pool? What is a, a mining pool? Cop, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, but, and like neural nets, they're trying to regulate like machine learning and things like that without any clue of how it works. And well, the, the I'm not saying it's not complicated. They're but... trying to like that. The, the fact that they're trying to regulate it shows a lack of understanding of what it is. Like we spent. <laughs> Meanwhile, entire... they allow things like gerrymandering to per to go on again in perpetuity, like forever when machine learning could fix that problem. They just stop fixing one problem and they start regulating another problem they know nothing about mm -hmm. that could have fixed the first problem. Like they're stepping on their own toes in the system having a legal system set up to protect people who do nothing and to not protect people who can't afford to take things to court. If somebody gets screwed over by their landlord and they can't afford the filing fees because they got screwed over by their landlord and had to pay rent somewhere else, that's the filing fee. If you can't afford to enforce the law, you get no law enforcement. That's mm -hmm. bullshit. Like, how do you run a country that's fair and equal and equitable when only rich people are, have access to legal repercussion? Like, that's not fair. That's not legal or justice. You know what I mean? We need to fix the way our laws are written, but also the way our laws are enforced. Because having a four-pay model for Supreme Court entries for uh, damages, I get that there has to be pay, but for people who can't afford to pay because they got screwed over, those people should also have legal remedies at hand. Mm -hmm. Because that's, again, what we want from our country. That's what a, a better country would look like if law was equally enforced. That's the point of fairdom and freedom and justice and equality in principle. So uh, with the education system, though, I would suggest that teachers should have more leeway in teaching. And if yes. they start having, if the teachers start not teaching as much as we expect from them, we should give the teachers resources, not just dump money on the school and say they need to buy like, whiteboards that are OLED screens or whatever. That's not fixing education. A teacher should be able to guide an entire classroom's education. And if we, for some reason, from our oversight, think the teacher could have done a better job, let's just help the teacher be a better teacher. You don't need to like a PTA group to, um, to tell them that they need to do more sex ed and they need to teach my kids how to be socially responsible and they need to teach my kids how to be decent human beings and they need to teach church to my kids. And no. Teach school stuff. <laughs> yeah, they'll learn that. Like, and that's the thing. Like, as someone who's been teaching for the last like two years now, I've been uh, 
like I've seen a lot of stuff, like I have a lot of freedom with the way I teach. And like I see with a lot of institutions, there's a lot of like, oh, you can't teach that or, uh, you know, the, the, the parents might not like that. I'm like, I don't give a, like, I can argue, if I can't argue what I'm teaching is, and how beneficial it is and why I'm teaching it, then I don't deserve to be teaching. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like teaching needs to be a bit cutthroat. Uh, because teachers have it way too easy. Um, now this but is also to more, too hard. Well, it's, it's too oh. hard in some places, but it's like, they're, they're not teaching in a lot of places and some places they are. And unfortunately, a lot of those places are the private sector and what needs to be like teachers want to teach and teachers want the freedom to engage the students as the teacher. No, we want you to teach like this. And it's like, no, every teacher is different. They're going to approach, like everyone says, well, every student is different. They need to be approached differently, blah, 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 for their own thing. It's like, yeah, but the other side of that is the teachers are also different. Every teacher is going to approach it differently. And as long as a teacher shows passion, then they're going to be, they're probably going to be more likely to get through to the students. But if you take that passion out of it and say, you know, you have to teach like this, or you have to teach this, or you have to teach this, which isn't proven, or you have to teach, you know, stupid gender theory stuff, you know, and the teachers can be like, okay. But at the same time, if they don't get results, well, then they're not a good teacher and they should go find another job, period. Or we like, should help them be better teachers. I'm, well, I lean more to the compassion side should be a, like, and the other thing is like, maybe they should- You might just a get a bad class. Well, they, you, well, you could get a bad class, but this, and then if you can argue, it's like, that was a terrible class. Like you just sent, like, if you had a classroom heck? full of us, we would have done nothing all year. If every kid, 30 of them was like us, I needed right. punishment to learn. But I'm saying like a bad teacher, like someone who's like, yeah. I'm here for the two months off in the summer, um, <laughs> like those guys or someone who's just like, I just thought I should become a teacher. And it's like, you know, then they say, no, you should be something else. And you should go find something else that you can be passionate about because you're not right. Or upgrade this. your teaching skills. Start practicing. Yeah. Go to a library. You really Let's hire you this, for the library. But like we need people who like there are people who want to teach and we should let them do that. And like it's that would get more results. And it's the, the thing is, is that the problem with it is, is that there's no quantify. You can't, there's no litmus test to say on that it's like well we'll just you just let them teach and then they'll teach no we need there needs to be a scientific uh you know thing that we need to say that will make every student learn as much as possible and it's like that's stupid the thing that works scientifically is letting teachers do what they think is best to get this stuff across now Mm -hmm. there's gonna be bad teachers straight up and some of them are going to be irreconcilable, but most of the ones can be, you know, may can do the job. And and mostly you're just going to get that one teacher for one class. You're not going to have that teacher ruin a whole year of your education, me, right? Yeah. Like that's, to me, this is this is a trust issue. You need to trust teachers to teach. You can't right. micromanage the them, and it's just they. If the students are saying we're not learning anything and it's a waste of time, mm-hmm. that's a problem right? Or if you're, if you're consistently behind in every other school for that grade, for that one class that that one teacher does, like if, if there's a quantifiable measurement that says this teacher is not performing well enough, 
all you have to do is identify what the problem is or move them to somewhere where they're better suited, like maybe gym class, <laughs> where you can't really fail at gym class. So maybe they're a better gym teacher. Go teach them phys ed, have them upgrade their, their university skills, if mm -hmm. you want to put it in the, the stupid layman clerical way, and then have them come back and fill a gym teacher role. And I'm not saying gym teachers don't do anything. They're really, really important, but it's a different type of education than math. Don't have a teacher who's not good at teaching math just strictly teaching math every day because then all the kids don't benefit from it. Why was the math teacher always the gym teacher? No, <laughs> it no, is weird though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, and I think this is one thing is that everyone expects solutions um, to be this thing that we can quantify to be, and it, and it sounds counterintuitive because we said at the beginning, like we want our solutions to be scientific. And for the most part, what we were talking about was this, but to some the extent, incremental process needs to be scientific, yeah. but the end outcome does not need but to the be process. Yeah. But the process, the individual human actions in it, you need to have, and this is strangest thing is that you just kind of need people to solve the problems on it, on their own self. And, the thing that will get you the best results is freedom. Now that's a big fancy word, but freedom acts like this in this state. And it, you can say this by saying the phrase, solve it at the lowest level. So we have all these problems in society, so many problems. Everyone's got problems, 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 problems. We're inherently problems. Now, some of these problems are gonna be around forever and that's good because we need problems in our life. Some mm. of them are bad and easily solvable, but they're not easy. But when we push it up to the king or the king prime minister and they say, solve it, throw money at it to solve it, it's not my problem. No, that's the opposite of what we need to do. We live in a for free society and what the bonus of this is it allows us to solve things at the lowest level. Well, what are you doing about it? Like, well, there's my, the drainage in my yard is messed up. I need the government to deal with it. It's like, you have a shovel. You're the lowest level. You're the one who can solve this. And so when you solve the problem of your drainage onto, on, on your property, that's a problem that the rest of society doesn't have to do. You are doing the problem solving. You don't have to wait for the problem solving to come from anywhere else. And this is the thing. We have specialists in society, specialists like teachers, specialists like builders, and we expect them to solve the problems that are in front of them. And if it's impossible for them to solve it, then it goes up a level. Mm -hmm. If it's impossible for like, you know, you, you, there's a problem, there's a problem with one student in class. We're going to, we're going to do teaching. We're not going to do building. We're going to do teaching because it's a little more abstract. Um, you are, you have a student in class. He's just a real problem. You're not getting through to him. Well, the rest of the students, you're working your butt off to get to the rest of the students. And most of the time your, your broad strokes are having results and you can tweak it with assignments, but you can't get to one kid in the class. So you go in and you try and solve it at the lowest level. Now the lowest level is always you every single time because you are a free actor in our society you can't just be like well i need to find out what moscow needs me to do or i need to see like are we allowed to paint this car this color when the it says this it's like you're not allowed to make a decision in that society in this society it's best if you do make the decision you use your judgment the lowest level is always you so you have to start fixing seeing what you can do to help that child learn that material and maybe you find out something that's beyond your kid. Maybe you say, okay, Timmy, it's not working out. What's going on? And you, you, you're, you're sitting there problem solving it. Now society doesn't have to deal with that because society is dealing with that because 
the quantum of that society, that individual is dealing with that. One processor within that society is dealing with the problem already. Now, if it's not enough processing power, oh man, there's actually something wrong with Timmy. You know, he's exhibiting some odd behaviors. Maybe something's going on at home. You take it to the the next level up. Now, what's the principle? No, it's horizontal. You're still at the same level. Maybe go to the, the, the counselor, say, have you talked to Timmy about this? Like, oh yeah, I think something's wrong. I think he might actually have like ADHD or autism. It's like, okay, I have to change my teaching tack. Problem solved. I can deal with uh, ADD students. Um, or Timmy like hurt somebody in class. Can you solve this? Well, you can say, don't do that again. You know, don't swear at somebody, but if he actually commits violence in class, you do have to go level up because you need that authority. So the lowest level is now the principal, you know, issuing or the go to the office. That's them sending you to the next level of authority. The, 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 the lowest level to deal with it is now not no longer a teacher. The lowest level of dealing with something is the solution exists at the principal's office. You're now at a higher level. Now, if you stab somebody, that level becomes very high. But if you, um, if you just tell a kid off or you're running in the hallways, like the level is as low as possible. And so you see this in the military a lot where it's like everyone's under fire on the line. Every single soldier is under fire. So it's like, you can't go to your CO. Well, you, you're a private who you go to, you go to the corporal, but the corporal's under fire too. So you have to solve the problem. My gun's jammed. So I solve it. You can't just be like, well, the guns are all jamming. Okay. The guns are all jamming can be handled at some level, which means there's a, there's a problem in, um, there's a problem in, uh, manufacture. So now you go up, guns are all jamming on the front line. Corporal says, okay, I told my commanding officer. Now the commanding officer gets the idea, tells, you know, the distribution or supply. Supply goes down to, I don't know, Colt or something. And Colt finds out, it's like, okay, guns are all jamming some on the line. And they go up and down and it goes back down to the lowest level of uh, problem solving. And now you have some engineer sitting there with, you know, his guns going, why are they jamming on the line? Now that engineer is the lowest level and he might have a team. So this is to me where the, where the strength of our situation is and uh, our society is, is that, and I think that's one thing that we're not doing when we're confronting solutions as a society is that we're pushing everything up instead of seeing what we can do. If we can't do it, then push it up. And to I me, it's, it's a lack of proposing solutions. If I'm going to yeah. push something up to my, my boss or my superior, I'm yes. going to tell them what I think I should, what we should do. And right, that's a, even if they don't do what I think we should do, it's, you, it's a data point that they collect from a professional right. involved so in the problem. If they move it up, you can, like, you, honestly, you did what you could at the lowest level. And if it's yeah. like, okay, here's what I see the problem is, here's the potential solution. <clears throat> and I can't deal with it because, you know, this isn't, like this is and this is what bigger. we were trying to talk about in that abstractions episode is why coding is so important writing programming and code is exactly this process of breaking things down and upgrading or elevating privileges as needed sorry privileges i just mean security access or, or memory access in the in the technical term of, yeah technical term <laughs> but like the issue at hand here is that to me anyway, is that solutions aren't being proposed for the sake of um, incremental progress. Solutions are being proposed as panacea. So they're all in, inevitably gonna be wrong. And all we're doing is telling people how their solutions are wrong, rather than implementing incrementally progressive, um, known to be beneficial, known better alternatives. We just skip the step of the increment and say, 
the whole thing's fucked. Like just give up or like yeah. your solution, your end goal, your end thing is so pie in the sky. It can't possibly work. We'll do nothing. And that type of approach is the problem with solution finding is that they're not doing the incremental. What can I do? Propose it, propose a solution for the higher up. What do I think they can do? And then they say, what can I do? Propose a solution to the higher up to what they can do. Hmm. Like these systems are already in place. Like it, it, it's not just a fantasy to think that like we could ask a lumber mill to operate a second lumber mill with the same processes because they have all the, the inside knowledge of how to do it profitably and have one feed lumber to government housing projects and the other be profitable and in exchange for their <laughs> expertise in managing the second lumber mill, they get a tax credit. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with them with that idea. It's not a pie in the sky thing because we already do that in finance. We already have banks paying the regulating agencies to regulate the banks, like a third party that's separated or like we were talking about the project manager and the housing project, how the government gives that manager a budget, but then they hand their hands back and the project manager is in control of everything. We already do that with medicine. So like these systems are already working and known to be effective. But the problem is in medicine, we're not dealing with preventative therapy very much. We, we're, we're talking all this bloat about like advertising for self-awareness and stuff for mental illness. And there's no services available for mentally ill people. It, it no. does absolutely nothing for a and mentally ill actually, person to have all these commercials spent and not a single therapy session in five years. And this is an interesting thing because we have a lot of things. Well, it's mental health. It's mental health. So what's, what's the thing? Well, we need to have better mental health. It's like, <clears throat> you know what you need to do? It's like find the level of abstraction that of problem solving abstraction again apply this principle again find the level that it's working at and see what you can do there honestly the best thing we can do to help mental health in our country treat it graduate more <laughs> psychologists mm -hmm. like we have a cap on how many psychologists we're graduating every year that's insane graduate more there's a cap on how many doctors like yeah that, like if you want to make if you want to make healthcare cheaper in the states graduate double the amount of doctors, force them to fight over their jobs. That in public healthcare, like yeah, privatized well, healthcare is terrible because what you're doing is that you're incentivizing doctors to prescribe things just to have a, a work order, just to produce work. They have to do something. Right. So if we make more of them, more, there's more doctors available, there's more knowledge. Then they need quality there. doctor services. They're competing. Then there's right. an actual capitalistic demand. And we can rate. actually do like all that stuff that we want to talk about, about, oh, people need more mental health, you know, this, or people, there needs to be more mental health initiatives. It's like, I agree. As someone yeah. who has had, um, you know, uh, problems uh, psychologically when I was a kid, wasn't and untreated. Like I've got like, ADHD figured out, guys. And, yeah. <laughs> Me too, and, by the way. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, but but it made know. school so much harder not having any type of preventative or therapeutic maintenance for it. Yeah. Even and not having have, it diagnosed is a problem. Like every grade might have a psychologist to help them through, but at the same time, like saying someone, "Oh, I need a like I need a therapist," but it's like. It's, it's, it's prohibitive. Like try and get one, and mm -hmm. like, try and get one that is like within your budget but if we have like triple the amount of psychologists out there all being like you should go me i'll uh, i'll help you and they have to like be creative about how they're going to help people now and all of a sudden oh no not only do you helping more people but you're getting more innovation within that system which means you have better psychology and your professionals are gaining experience so that the community the professional psychology yeah. community is actually getting stronger
And it's like, like well, we it need to benefits throw more money everybody. At programs and stuff like this. We need a new program to help Aboriginal, you know, psychology. It's like, well, you have six programs now. There's like eight, mm. a new program every month or something. And well, we need to solve it. So what are we going to do? Well, we need to send it to the top. And the top says, everyone wear orange shirts and lower the flag to half mast <laughs> so that we can raise awareness. And it's just like, we are helping. We are helping. helping. It's like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and it's, what you need to do is give access to people who need it, period. Let's yeah. start there. How do you start there? We need more psychologists. How do you start there? Let's make school free. Well, like, yeah, it's like or well, cheaper or affordable or whatever. More, I'm just saying the solutions educational can be materials more available because people will educate themselves if you accidentally let them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's the other thing. Like if you register for therapy groups or something, they wait until you get into the therapy therapy group before they give you access to the material for that group. Mm-hmm. When all the people in a waiting list for six months could have been going through and treating themselves that whole time and maybe wouldn't even need the group. They might not need the expensive group, but yeah. you can't even get the source material until after you're approved and on the waiting list. Or they could which find is insane. Their, they could find their equivalent of God, which is yeah. I learned how to do this and now I have meaning in my life and now I'm actually but like you, if they have ask. access to the information they know is going to be helpful and beneficial and they know they're going to give it to people when they eventually get down the list, why the hell wouldn't you let somebody give them the opportunity to treat themselves ahead of time mm-hmm. and not cost anybody any money? Right. Like, insane things like this. We don't need to spend like hundreds of thousands on like a new development project or helping new people or new commercials. Just do simple things like give information packages to people who ask for help. Like. Mm. Like it's not rocket science. It's really not that complicated. We no, can help people and it's really just, cheap just by thinking. Just problem solving. Like yeah. we have to get, and I think this is, I, I'm going to start wrapping up because uh, I think we've started, we've started to make a meta point here, mm. um, but, and we're actually coming up. This is going to be a longer episode, but that's I okay. It's only two hours. That's yeah, okay. But um, what, yeah. And these like, we have to, I think a lot of it, like what I've kind of been saying this entire time is like, you can apply problem solving yourself. It doesn't have to be like some big sweeping giant reform. It's just like, and it's, you need to apply, see what you need. Okay. We need housing. We need more housing that people can afford. And that would actually make it um, better. Well, you just always think you need more. It's like, no, we need more of this one specific thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need people to have better access to stuff. And this would do it like, well, instead of just throwing money at it willy nilly, the problem solving is essential. And how can you do it? And a lot of times it's like, give people the tools to solve their own problems. So Mm -hmm. we don't have to solve them on a global issue and have the government hit us like with a hammer of a solution from Ottawa and everyone's like, what was the problem in the first place? And then you're also <laughs> not cultivating this culture of people just waiting for problems to be fixed for them. Like yes. we talked about in that prior yes. episode with uh, where people like their car breaks down on the road and they just sit there. Well, if CAA does nothing, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and wait for somebody to help me. Like this helplessness mentality that you curate. Well, again, when, this, when is you ins- the low, this is solving it at the lowest level. Mm-hmm. Again, you, 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 your car goes... Brrr. 
and you you stop on the side of the highway and you're like dang and <laughs> this is exactly and you start you trying to figure out you, what you open to it do you next. go like hi caa my car's not working no like you go you open the trunk and you say okay solving at the lowest level and that's me uh, well, actually, the lowest level is my kid in the back seat, but that's we're gonna go up from that. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Actually, kid gets out here and watches yeah, me check the, the tires while I check the engine. Yeah. So um, what happens is you look in, and you say battery's fried, worst case scenario, or something like that. It's just like something's terrible. You can fix the car, but you don't have the tools. You know, it needs a it needs a weakened space dock or something, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> or a lift or something. Yeah. yeah, it needs a lift. So then you call. So that's the, oh, I could call CA now. It's like, no, is the highway busy? Because then you just go like, put your thumb out and be like, yo, I need a, I need a charge uh, from another car. Or you can check your map and see if there's like a local car mechanic, which would be faster and cheaper and more effective than CAA. If there's a mechanic literally down the road who can just drive a a truck over and put a new battery in, that's cheaper for everybody. You're supporting small business, fixing the problem. A bunch of stuff because, and then, then if every, like if you're in the middle of nowhere, there's Mm. nobody around, there's no towns around, your batteries just needs a boost. Well, then you call CA. Then you move up to the organization level to, you know. And in the meantime, you wait with your thumb out and see if somebody will give you a boost because you yeah. might not need CA. Like you can, so you can multitask while you problem solve. Solutions are there, but we do have to be a bit creative because it's not. And I think a solution to any problem needs to be well thought out. You can't just be like. Well, if people had more money, then they'd have more money to spend. It's like, oh, thanks, Keynes. You're a genius. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> it's a culture and a mentality that you need to foster. And I think that starts from the highest up and down. The way we go about um, projecting ourselves on media in like we didn't much get to journalism and media, but uh, I want to. Yeah. We'll do that in another episode. Yeah. I guess. Well, we do it on almost every episode. I rail on the media, but it's not that I it's not that I hate newspapers. I absolutely love the public press. I'm critical because I want them to do better. Because yes. all, the only thing that makes them want to do better is having a public tell them that they should do better. That that's all they have to do is make stuff that people will read. If people tell them what they don't want to read and what they do want to read, they have to listen. That's it's their like, job. That's I'll their business model. On, I'll just like shock report on Twitter. that's not journalism but i'm critical because i i believe in them i believe in the media and i know they can do better we need and that's why we complain about the university so much and that's Mm -hmm. why i want the library to become you know and the government and politics and markets and regulators and law like all of it it's fixable it's absolutely fixable yeah and we just need to pay attention and talk about it competently not just talk about it for the sake of making noise so that people see how woke we are it's not I, about being fucking woke it's about I being competent an awareness campaign letter that we acknowledge that this thing happened i helped yeah it's like, and it's about know. not dismissing ideas based on nothing if okay. you have a belief system you have to just analyze things independent of your belief system, just for its own merits, just for the sake of the process of analyzing it and considering it, because you don't know which solutions are going to wind up being good. Bad for our society, but the God, <laughs> it's like, well, okay, that's a. But that's to say a, like that'll never work because it's never happened, or we tried that once, it'll never work. That type of thinking dismisses an entire procedural or protocol um of of a potential solution it dismisses it outright without ever considering it that's by definition ignorant 
That's what ignorant means. It means to not be aware or to ignore something that is knowably As available to you. Who's studied history? I get a lot of people saying it's like, oh, it's never been tried before. It's like it's literally been tried seven times. Yeah. Like, put them on your car. Like it's like we've never had something like this before in history. It's like we had it in 1996. Yeah. You just haven't read any history. It's like unprecedented. It's like ah. It's like. But that's the thing. They just believe it, though. Having never seen it, it must never exist. And this is something all human beings do. Like, I'm not criticizing or saying I'm above it. Well, it's I have to acknowledge it because I'm also susceptible to the same problem. Just as we all solving from a position of ignorance is what's happening there. Like, if I'm if I'm trying to fix a uh, I don't know if I'm trying to fix a you know city plumbing and I don't know anything about fluid dynamics and I don't know anything about engineering. Well, I'm gonna be like, well, how do we get the pipes to work? And then somebody who comes in is just like, are you, are you serious? Like, <laughs> pressure valve problem or something. I don't know. I'm making this yeah. up. But like, if someone comes in and says you need to teach kids like this, and I'm like, no, the kids will be done. We'll, we'll just teach them over Zoom. It's like having taught over Zoom. That's dumb. That's a good way <laughs> to have kids not be taught. <laughs> we need to come up with a different solution. But YouTube videos work surprisingly well because you can animate things as you're speaking them. You can really make a production value out of the educational material you create through a video. But like a live YouTube stream or Zoom stream is different, but it's more effective in some ways, like asking questions and interruptions and leaving notes. That stuff is phenomenal on Zoom because it's in real time feedback. And that's really good for some parts of education. But diagramming things and animating uh, conceptual flowcharts is also helpful, which is what we used to do with chalkboards and whiteboards in school. And that's worked. And that's why every university and every school has whiteboards and chalkboards. It's why we carry around notepads and pen and paper. Because it's it's a utensil and it's a proven tool that works. And it's an incrementally beneficial tool. We started with scrolls. Those are less efficient than binded notebooks. Oh, this is so the, we're still is using pen and paper. Like, but I'm going to use pen and pad until it I until something works better for me. Then <clears throat> like that's just straight up why I'm still using pen and pad for my notes. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you're cutting down trees. It's like, yeah, but the benefit is like I don't have to buy a $300 computer and and the paper's recyclable. So the trees you cut down stay cut down, but the paper stays paper. <laughs> I think a lot of what we're talking about also requires, uh, just to move on a bit, is uh, an element of creativity. We need to be creative. We need to start thinking strangely. And this is why we need different perspectives. You know, uh, like We need to reward creativity to do this. Yes. And, and that so means like, abolishing our patent protections. Well, it's like that guy in the meme who's just kind of like throw him out of the window because he makes a suggestion that's, you know, different and would obviously seem thing. It's like, no, we need to, we need to, like, if we can't just say, well, what if we did this and then throw him out or, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh, those are some strange ideas you've got there. And we can't just kill the messenger every time there's an idea we don't like or an idea we don't understand we have to get what we have to do is force someone who's being creative to try harder because it's like you can be creative all you want come up with an idea but then it's just like okay explain it better explain it more come up with a you know come up with a um uh, a proposal or a project or a or a, a think piece on that i want like this in a week and that to me should be the function of science journals where people have a really well thought out idea that's really unique and and you know creative they should have a, a venue or a platform to publish it well good company but, will do that 
it's like i've got an idea it's like cool shoot and it's just like let's show some promise flesh it out like yeah and this is the other thing i think like you have creativity and we have all these ideas is that creativity also has to come with hard work you can't just be like here's the solution like we're totally doing right now (laughs) no i put a lot of work into this Well, we're, we're, we're I've, actually, I've actually designed cut sheets and built out and profit uh, profit costed out the. Uh, we're uh, we're spending two hours talking about this. We're not just going like build back better. It's like Jesus. Yeah, but I actually built three D models to show that it's oh, possible to create shoebox condo, shoebox condos for less than a hundred thousand dollars today's pre- present market value, where the average you know income is around thirty seven to forty five thousand dollars. That's an affordable right. home, two years income. Spread that out over 10 years and somebody has equity where they'd otherwise have been plugging money into a renter. I used to be a property manager, so I used to collect Mm. rents and actually manage real estate. I used to trade Forex markets, so I understand trade agreements and international GDP relationships between uh, import-export businesses. So it's not like we're just pulling shit out of our asses here. There are actual machine learning algorithms already created to to create um, redistricting lines for, for political uh, districts. So like these things have already been created and I've already read about them or experienced them or whatever. And we're bringing them here on the podcast to show that solutions aren't necessarily obvious at first glance, but they also don't have to be end goals. The incremental better than uh, what is current is still progress. And that's how we got from Model T cars to uh, to Porsches today. And like EVs or Teslas or whatever, like there was a progressive, mm-hmm. eventual gradient of development. Well, what I'm saying is that like it wasn't start to have finish. to not just use a slogan and call it a new idea. They've got to put work into that and like actually, like put like creativity has responsibility attached to it because it's just like oh you're creative. Well then actually do it. Uh, it's like, well, no, I'm an ideas guy, which means I'm a useless git. Uh, so, but unless you're Stephen Hawking, he's an ideas guy that was pretty useful. <laughs> he does no, but he's an he's a theorist, which means he's an ideas guy that does the math. But he can't uh, physically do anything. Well, he's he has to get other people to write his books and other people to uh, draw out his equations and. Yeah, but he's still like he's still doing the work. He just has to have. Uh, if somebody's an ideas guy, they just need to pair themselves up with a book guy yeah you know what i mean like they just need to find somebody who doesn't have ideas but who's really organized and and clever with words or whatever like pair up what i'm saying is talk is cheap a lot of times and like i know you're showing your work and all these other people are but like if a lot of times when you say you can problem solve you actually have to show that you can do it and this isn't a thing well we're going to solve it this a lot of these solutions and coming up with a solution will provide a solution but the solution doesn't absolve you of hard work everything's like it's going to take hard work no matter what we do but it's it's also not the end yeah but will our hard work lead us to you know a more beneficial future like we have literally right now because of all the hard work we put in or a you know, or is, or is our heart, we're going to dig ourselves a giant hole that we can't get out of. (laughs) We will always progress. The question is how soon do we get to utopia? You know what I mean? And I'm not saying like finding a solution isn't the end of the housing problem. It's just that our housing problem will change. We'll have a different housing problem after Mm -hmm. homeless people have homes. You know what I mean? Having a better uh, healthcare system with preventative maintenance doesn't mean there will be no mental health issues. We're still going to have to figure out problems, but we're just going to have 
different problems to figure out. Finding solutions doesn't mean ending a problem. It means closing off a worse problem and trading it for a lesser problem and then dealing with the lesser problem and closing that out and then dealing with a lesser problem. That's what incremental progress is. And that's what we should be shooting for when we say we have a solution or a proposal or an idea or, you know, we're creative and innovative. It's not to find the end perfect product. What we're doing is we're trying to find a better system that works better than now that can be implemented effectively and cheaply and efficiently that will likely work. And then you try it. And if it doesn't work, you just roll back. And if it does work, you roll forward. Yeah. Which is why I was talking so much about failure as Mm -hmm. like this thing. Cause like, yeah, it's essential. We need to let things fail. We should do an entire episode on failure and why we should the wonders of failure things, the beautifulness of failure, scrape your knees. You'll run dirty. Yeah. So, um, I think that's a good place to, uh, start wrapping it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll get into other stuff, obviously, as we go on with other topics, because these are mostly, like, I don't know, more than half of them are stuff that we've covered in past episodes, yeah. but we just sort of cursory glossed over them and didn't have time to really delve into them like we did today. So I'm glad yeah. we got into the subject because um, just personally speaking, I think it's in everybody's best interest for the good of the species and for our children moving forward, not just for ourselves selfishly, but like for all of humanity, it is better to be progressive. It is I never think- better to be conservative. One of the things that I've noticed, except in is, climate, but yeah, <laughs> one of the things I've noticed in his studying history is that um, it's going to change no matter what. The life is going to change. Something it's going to be different no matter what happens. Like even when you look at stagnant cultures, uh, like um, Ming China or uh, or uh, the European Middle Ages or um, or the, the Nubians, uh, yeah. The, the Roman Empire, which was trying to be progressive, actually, believe it or not, um, they were um, the society changed in spite of themselves. And when we put effort into it, it doesn't just happen as a natural process, which could lead us somewhere good, but it will lead us somewhere good by accident. And it could just as easily throw us into the dirt. So when we actually put conscious effort into it, we can move ourselves into a direction consciously and use that progress because we're going to progress somewhere it might as well be somewhere good and if we put the problem solving into it we can make sure or at least you know hedge our bets properly towards a better future and if you think it's going to cost too much money it's costing you more money not doing it just not noticing the money falling out of your pocket doesn't mean you're not losing money so seeing money come out of your hand is if it's less money than what falls out of your pocket, you're better off giving the money away than letting it fall through the cracks. Would you rather be watching TV? <laughs> what else are you going to do with your time? You might as well do something. Watch a documentary. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, thanks for watching, everybody. For those gravitas, check out the RSS feed. Solution to your need for something to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, RSS feeds at ChrisDriver.com/feed slash rssfeed.xml um youtube itunes are we in spotify i don't know we're on facebook and twitter but i don't know spotify is we're on google podcasts so we're in most places if you do a search for frivolous gravitas you will find us if you're on a platform that we're not on and you think it would be more effective for you to listen to us on that platform just put in the comments be like engagement challenge (laughs) 
and then we'll put ourselves on there because we literally have all our videos. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Spread the word. Yeah. All right. See you guys and uh, see you guys next week. Peace, love, and happiness.